Hello, and welcome to Kick Out 299. I'm Rachel. My pronouns are they, them. And today, it's time for us to face our destiny. I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. I'm Jason. My pronouns are he, him. Today, we're excited to talk about Noah's iconic Tokyo Dome show from July 18th, 2005, Noah Destiny. After a successful venture to the Tokyo Dome on July 10th, 2004 for Noah Departure, featuring a legendary match between Kobashi and Akiyama for the GHC Heavyweight Championship, Misawa and Noah as a whole did not actually expect to book a second Tokyo Dome show the following year. As Misawa describes in an interview for Shupro issue number 1259, they had no intention of doing the Dome again, but the Tokyo Dome contacted them and asked if they had July 18th free. Misawa said, I had only been to the Dome once, but for them to offer me a date like that, it was destiny, I guess. And he laughed after he said so. And with that, not only was the date set, but the title was decided, Destiny. With a burning hot 62,000 no vacancy crowd, this event features some of the greatest matches in pro history, tear-inducing moments, and plenty of familiar faces for fans of Noah past and present. We're excited to go through all the major players, match highlights, story beats, and more. So, without further ado, let's get into it. So, we're taking this show in match by match, and we're starting off with our opening bout. That's Masashi Aoyagi, Sua, and Takashi Sugiura defeated Katsuko Nakajima, Mitsuo Momoda, and Tsuyoshi Kikuchi in 9 minutes and 32 seconds. So before we get into the match itself, and this is how we'll do kind of the rest of our review, um, I'm going to get into some bios on some significant people in this match. I want to talk about Mitsuo Momoda first. He was the son of Ricky Dozan. Um, He debuted in his father's promotion, JWA, in 1970, but much of his career took place in All Japan Pro Wrestling and then eventually Pro Wrestling Noah. Momoda was a vice president of Noah from the time the promotion was established in 2000 until after Misawa's passing in 2009, when he resigned from the board and as a professional wrestler for Noah. We actually talked about the politics around his resignation in our Maruken Part 2 episode. Momoda became a freelancer, though he wrestled relatively few matches over time. He is retired today, having wrestled only one match in 2021, and nonsense. I also want to talk about Tsuyoshi Kikuchi. Kikuchi debuted for All Japan in February of 1988. He was a junior and modeled a lot of his style off of the Dynamite Kid and joined Super Generation Army. Kikuchi eventually became a world junior heavyweight champion, but he's perhaps most well-known for his incredible tag team partnership with Kenta Kobashi that resulted in them winning the All-Asia Tag Team Championships and holding the belts from 1992 to 1993. Kikuchi joined Noah after the 2000 roster split and went on to join Kobashi's Burning there and mostly wrestled in the mid-card, but occasionally received the odd title shot. He was let go by Noah in 2010 and became a freelancer from that point. He did retire from professional wrestling in May 2021, losing in a final match against Koji Kanemoto. And there's also Takashi Sugira, 
who really doesn't need a lot of introduction. But Sugira's background is fascinating because he had dreamt of being a professional wrestler, but then decided to become an amateur wrestler, even though he didn't have access to a high school team or a dojo to learn martial arts. He was actually more of a soccer player growing up. He joined the self-defense forces, learned Greco-Roman there and competed, but fell short of qualifying for three Olympics. He followed fellow SDF alumnus Timon Honda, who I'll talk about later, to All Japan and entered the dojo as a valet for Akira Tawe but did not debut there due to the roster split. He debuted for NOAA in December 2000. By destiny, Sugira had won the GHC Junior Heavyweight Championship once, his first title, and had just become a GHC Junior Heavyweight Tag Champion with Yoshinobu Kanemaru in June of 2005, when they put an end to the Maruken era. Sugira has gone on to become a four-time GHC Heavyweight Champion, a nine-time GHC Heavyweight Tag Team Champion, and a two-time GHC National champion. But much of this match is about highlighting the young prodigy, and that is Katsuhiko Nakajima. Nakajima is about a year and a half into his career at the time of the show, and he's only 17 years old, so he's a kid. We have done some extensive work covering large parts of his career this year, actually, through our Diamond Ring episode, our Aggression episode, and then our One Night Dream episode. So I do recommend going back to those episodes for more info on him. But Katsuhiko was already an accomplished um, karateka as a child and scouted for Ricky Choshu's World Japan promotion or WJ when he was only 14, becoming the youngest wrestler to debut there in September 2003. His September debut was actually an MMA fight against Jason Lee, which he won via knockout in less than two minutes. And then his proper pro wrestling debut for WJ came in January 2004 when he lost by submission to Tomohiro Ishii. Katsuhiko met Kensuke Sasaki in WJ, but Sasaki left the promotion in 2004 due to the promotion's financial issues and tensions between him and Choshu, which is actually his mentor. After leaving WJ at the end of March due to the decreasing amount of shows, Katsuhiko joined the Kensuke office team and began working with Kensuke and Akira Hokuto. From there, Katsuhiko made his debut for promotions like New Japan Pro Wrestling, Fighting Liger in the Dome by April 2004, and All Japan Pro Wrestling as well. After 2004, All Japan would be his mainstay until Kensuke Office began working with Pro Wrestling Noah more exclusively starting in 2008. Kensuke retired in February 2014, and the last Kensuke Office Diamond Ring show was held in March 2014, but Katsuhiko remained a Diamond Ring affiliated wrestler until July 2015. He signed with Noah on January 1st, 2016, and since Destiny, Katsuhiko has become a two-time GHD heavyweight champion, six-time GHD heavyweight tag team champion, a three-time GHD junior heavyweight champion, an AJPW World Junior Heavyweight Champion, and an All-Asia Tag Champion with Kensuke Sasaki. So quite a list of accomplishments, but um, going back to Destiny, like you said, he's just a boy here. And um, it's it's really interesting to see that. So what were your impressions on this match? What are your impressions on the young prodigy, Katsuko Nakajima? So this is like little boy, Nakajima. <laughs> and so to put in some context of kind of where I'm coming from with, with viewing the show. So I first watched Noah Destiny 2005 in 2005. Like, I don't, it wasn't live on Noah World, uh, but it was <laughs> like, um, you know, I, I would get the tape from High Spots and that still is actually legitimately on uh, shelf at my parents' house <laughs> that they probably do not enjoy having all these blue boxes on, on their uh, shelf. Um, but I like I watched it, you know, a few couple months after the show. I probably reviewed it for <laughs> Happy Wrestling, some early incarnation of Happy Wrestling Land. Loved it. And 
so Nakajima back then, like, yeah, I was actively watching back then. And he was like, yeah, just this adorable little boy to the point where it's like, it, once I like saw, you know, what he was up to, like in Noah and like what he's become and that list of success, you, you know, run down and then just say, you know, what I just like insane person he's become it, it almost like it doesn't it's like God, like I'm I'm happy but I'm also like that ah little little boy um <laughs> he was legitimate he was a prodigy I'm not like he was so like one he started when he was 14 here he is like three years later but like he had I mean the business is all about kicks back then and this guy had the best freaking kicks like and you know he was Kensuke's like adopted son um so it was just a very exciting young rookie with potential and it was cool that he got you know showcased here it's interesting to think about jason talking about like his experience of finding destiny when i started watching destiny i was new to watching wrestling as well but it was only like it was back in i guess maybe i can't remember the year maybe it was like 2015 when i when i watched destiny so that's like not too long from when i first started watching puro but i really wasn't a fan of katsuhiko yet like not quite as big a fan as I am now um I was trying to wrap my head around like people like Marafuji still so I hadn't really graduated figuring out like Nakajima and in this he's like you know like Jason is like saying he's a he's like a little boy like a round-faced boy so he's so different than like the person he is today but yeah it's amazing to think about him being 17 and his reflexes that he has now that are incredible he has them when he's 17 years old and it doesn't make any sense that a 17 year old moves the way that he does. And you can tell that that's not quite taught that is innate to him. And that's why Choshu scouted him when he was a child. Um, can we debate back and forth around like why, why was, you know, a child wrestling when he was I mean, probably, um, but it's, still amazing to watch him move like that in a ring and be so confident and be so assured of himself when he's wrestling with people who have been wrestling, you know, quite a few years more than him, right? He looks like a veteran at 17 years old. It's, it's incredible actually. Um, so yeah, that it's just, it's fascinating to compare it's, him now to then. It doesn't make, really make any sense. He seems like a second generation wrestler. He was treated like one. He was a, like, he was the son of uh Kensuke office He's not, but yeah, he was like just really good back then already. It's actually really cool that you first watched Destiny, what you said, 2015. Cause like, honestly, like, like, I mean, that was kind of like, I had slowed down with like keeping up with Japanese wrestling. And like, I almost, I, I didn't know if like, like not Noah, but like this show, I didn't, I didn't know if it had gotten lost to time or not. I don't know. Like I would like, I, you don't hear it referenced all the time. But like, so like, I don't know, like, I don't know if people are rediscovering Noah. It's good to see that, yes, people have been and we get to talk about it because like, yeah, like, it's such a good show. <laughs> um, and I promised everyone listening, I, I, I rewatched it again. So you're getting, yeah. The getting thoughts fresh, of, fresh takes. Yeah, the thoughts of Not me. Not 2005 takes. Uh, exactly. How, was that 30, 25? Oh, geez. Okay. So yeah, long time ago versus a week ago. Anyway, Nakajima was so good. Yeah, concur. Like, and he was the star of the match. I mean, there's a lot of good guys in here, but I mean, it was like kind of, he was the most notable thing. Yeah, the camera really hung on him. Like even after the match, they sort of hung on him until he left. Like this was very much a, a main character moment, I guess you could call it. Um, and And yeah, you could definitely feel that he was in that spotlight there a lot of expectations were on him and and he had some really great exchanges like 
the Sugiura exchange, uh, most notably with that killer kick to the head. And Nakashima's yes. really beautiful German. <laughs> Those were the, the the there's the slow-mo after the match where an Aoagi where he catches him with the spin kick. Like, yeah, there's just yeah, everybody it's like everybody he like tore it up with too. Like it's um him and Sugiura, like them just teeing off, like that was the coolest kind of like almost like a preview of the future right there um and then suwa was just the best at this point like just the coolest and then he just disappeared off the earth but like the coolest like badass heel at the time and um so see, him and nakajima like, i want I, I almost remember thinking like i need that match in Noah like tomorrow for a junior title um so yeah lots of good stuff it's funny because we're going to talk about a lot of different points of destiny in this card and it's funny to watch nakajima at 17 years old going up against sugira sugira isn't really that far removed from the start of his own career and he's sort of an anomaly in that he walks into an all japan dojo at 30 he's married with a child and he somehow becomes who he becomes which is it doesn't make any sense that that's his life but they are a point of destiny they become so important to each other later on in katsuhiko's career um as katsuhiko becomes more and more cemented as a part of the core of noah right um so that's just that one little point of destiny and two jason's point about sua sua is so interesting because this is really like one of his first noah performances sua was a dragon gate guy and then came over to noah and this is like one of his very first noah appearances and then he ends up getting a title shot with somebody after this card but we'll get to that soon it doesn't mm-hmm. come from, yeah, it comes later. We'll talk about that later. But Sua, this was like, the, to Jason's point, yeah, this really was peak Sua. He had his moments in early Noah before, unfortunately. He like he disappeared for a little bit from some injuries, came back, and then got injured again, and then had to end his career, unfortunately. So he has a very interesting history with Noah, but like there was a peak Sua period, and it kind of starts within here. That was a really good finishing stretch from Sua, too. I had that written down. That was just really good. So that's really good context to know seriously seriously yeah i i just i i have a wonderful memories of that junior title match you're referring to um i'm still struck that momota wrestled last year or 2021 2021 he had one match um yeah he was in uh was that the year that he did like a battle royale or maybe the year before he, he, he's been around he's actually um more active on twitter you can find him and his oh family on twitter Sorry. Um, his his Amazing. granddaughter works for Pro Wrestling Noah as a translator. Oh, wow. Um, she's a lovely person. Uh, so they are they are still active in um Pro Wrestling Noah. And I and I encourage people that are curious about um his history with Noah. We do talk about some interesting stuff in our Marken Part Two episode, um, with how he ended up leaving Noah and the reasons why. And there's some really good re- translations that Rachel provided around that. So. Um, check that out if you would like some more information regarding um, that time period for Noah in 2009. Following the match, we have Osano had a write-up for the special edition Shoe Pro on Destiny, and he provided Nakajima's post-match comments. Nakajima states, I was nervous in front of such a big audience for the first time. Before the match, I was very unsure of how I would do in front of wrestlers I had never fought before. I wanted to win, but before that, I wanted to prove myself. I think I was able to do that this time. So I am happy. I want to continue to fight in Noah. So just a very baby face promo from a very young man. And it's very interesting to sit with that for uh, the the character he evolves into. So it's just a really fun little, fun little moment and a, and a really good match. 
shout out to Kikuchi. I just felt like I had to say something about Kikuchi. Uh, yeah. He is <laughs> he was the guy. He really oh, was yeah. the guy. It, 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 Noah, he was so just older or broke it down. So he, like he was still awesome, but like never got to break out. But like, yeah, exactly. So love to get and i will say Sorry. um a good kikuchi match that i actually um i had to buy it because i love it so much um <laughs> there is an amazing captain's fall hair match in noah Ooh. uh with kikuchi kotaro kenta and marafuji on one side and the other side is like sua uh hashi sugira kanamaru oh man uh i might be missing someone yep, I'm, but yep Jason, I'll send it to you. But amazing. it is amazing. I, it's I, an incredible match. Someone loses their hair and is not happy about it because he's betrayed by all his nephews. That's the best part of Kikuchi and like Noah during that time period is that he's older. He's super like grumpy about the younger guys and they torment so him. <laughs> yeah, they torment him. But he's fantastic. And like I highly recommend go back to All Japan in the early 90s. Watch his run with Kobashi with the All Asia tags that is like a monumental run i know people love to get into like misawa and kobashi and like the stuff that they got to do together in early 90s in terms of tag stuff you will miss out if you don't watch kobashi and kukuji because that was the real deal one of the greatest sellers ever um, people say ricky morton like it's it's kikuchi all right, so heading into the second match, we have Muhammad Yone and Takashi Morishima defeated Go Shiyazaki and Tomon Honda in eight minutes and 26 seconds. So Go Shiyazaki made his debut July 24th, 2004. So he was a few days shy of a full year as a professional wrestler when Destiny rolls around. So literally another kid, so to speak. Another Kabashi student and ballet, he naturally joined Burning upon his debut. Shio cited two things that influenced his decision to pursue wrestling as a career and enter the Noah Dojo in 2003. He heard Misawa say on TV that anyone could become a pro wrestler. And he was reading back issues of Shupro and he came across an article where then Kenta Kobayashi, later Kenta, said he had no martial arts experience before being trained by the Noah Dojo, only years spent playing baseball. So when people try to tell you that Kenta is a kickboxer, please let me be the one to tell you that that's not true. He only started kickboxing to fix his kicks when he was already in the Noah Dojo. Um, so how does one sum up Shiyazaki Go's career in a very succinct way? Since Destiny, Shiyazaki has become a five-time GHC heavyweight champion, a seven-time GHC heavyweight tag champion, a triple crown champion, and a two-time world heavyweight tag team champion. Today, he is finally the ace of Noah. He was always destined to be. Now, Timon Honda, as mentioned before, is a former Japan Self-Defense Force officer, amateur wrestler, and Olympian, all before you get to his pro wrestling career, first in All Japan and then pro wrestling Noah. He was known for his technical prowess as a wrestler, but never became a main event wrestler. He did hold the All-Asia Tag Belts twice with different partners, and then held the GHD Heavyweight Tag Championships with Kenta Kobashi twice. Honda helped train wrestlers in the Noah Dojo with Ogawa, but Honda left Noah going into 2010 to become a freelancer, and I believe this is because some people's contracts with guaranteed pay expired, so they went freelance instead of staying. Honda opened up his own school and wrestled for other promotions pretty sparingly, though in 2012 he did have 14 Noah matches, so make of that what you will. I believe he is considered semi-retired, but has not wrestled since 2019. 
Muhammad Yone debuted for PWFG in 1995 and wrestled for places like Battle Arts, BJW, and Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling for a couple of years. He didn't wrestle his first matches in All Japan until 2000 and 2001, and only wrestled one NOAA match in 2001. 2002 was when Yone joined NOAA exclusively, and he has been there ever since. Yone has never been a NOAA main eventer, but does have his place in history with several successful tag teams, becoming a five-time GHD heavyweight tag team champion, and he had a prolific run as GHD hardcore openweight champion in 2005. He is hardcore Yone when we see him at Destiny. He beat uh, Marafuji for the belt, actually, that March. He was in the faction Disobey and was also an integral part of the formation of No Mercy as a result, which I'm going to beat that drum forever. Today, Yone usually opens Noah cards in tag matches, and he's known for his disco gimmick. Takeshi Morishima debuted for All Japan in March 1998 and followed his seniors to Noah during the 2000 roster split. So this makes him part of the same class, so to speak, as people like Marufuji, Kenta, Takeshi Rikyo, Sugira, Hashi. By destiny, Morishima had already been a GHD heavyweight tag team champion with former Wild 2 partner Takeshi Rikyo and a WLW heavyweight champion twice. Morishima went on to be a five-time GHD heavyweight tag team champion, a three-time GHC heavyweight champion, and is still well known for being a Ring of Honor world champion in 2007 for 231 days. Unfortunately, in April 2015, Morishima announced he would retire due to health issues that had been discovered after an unrelated injury. He did attempt to make a comeback in 2018, but his event, Genesis, was canceled due to needing surgery for arthritis in his foot. And subsequently, Morishima never returned to the ring after dealing with an arrest for assaulting a cab driver in the same year. So in Ishikawa's write-up for this match for the Destiny special, he describes Shiazaki as Noah's supernova. And indeed, most of this match is focused on showcasing him as a young upcoming talent for Noah. And we also have uh, Morishima as a sort of a young talent in this match as well. So there's, there's a little bit of Noah's future in this match. Um, but yeah, what did you guys think of this match and what were your impressions on the uh, the four players in it? Very fun. Maybe not the greatest showcase of those young wrestlers. I, I think they spotlighted them, but they didn't look particularly great. Mm. Um, and that's just more of a, a wrestling fan nitpick um, that they were bad, you know. Um, <laughs> there were some, yeah, there were some like uh, suplexes early that they were losing themselves on. Um, it And it took go a while to hit now he was doing a lot of the kind of kibashi light stuff and i mean it was like he seems he'll be good you know he'll figure it out but at this point he hadn't thankfully this match has uh, honda who like never might have never was a main event wrestler but did two years prior challenge kenta kibashi in the, his first ghc title defense which I will contend is still one of maybe his best controversial take, but uh, it showed everyone what Honda maybe could be he, uh, the weirdest wrestler, pale, you know, red tank top, long stringy black hair, amateur wrestler, but super fun. And like when he got the hot tag, it was on. Um, and I think that's what like I liked about this match. It was just like, it wasn't great, but even like what could have been like the weakest match in the show like it was like the Noah undercard in a nutshell. Um, something I just always have loved about Noah since the start. I mean, all Japan too, but Noah really got good at this. Is just 
even if it's this on paper, it's like, okay, whatever. I've got a few guys in here, but everyone has like stuff to do. I, I don't know. They, they, and they all got a moment. They all had a thing. They all had like an agenda, you, you know, and it, or a point at least to being there. Even Yone, like he's just, you know, there to have fun. Yone is always, I was my favorite since the day I saw him. Love him so much. I I don't know. Always had a thing for that guy, even though right, he was the undercarder. I didn't even like the hardcore open weight title. I've never open weight titles are like always. I'm sorry, is this is this scandalous? Because open yeah, that title. Here's, yeah. Here's my take. <laughs> open weight titles are almost always bad. I, I just because they like inevitably just stop mattering after a while. But that's fair. I, I apologize for the slider on that. Like he what like he just the afro. It's like who, who is this guy? Like and um. His spin kick was just the most like fluid, beautiful thing back then. Uh, and yeah, he somehow stuck around and is still there doing disco. Um, and th- that's the Noah undercard. They find something for you to do. Um, <laughs> and that is very <laughs> awesome. So I like this, even if Marie Shimon Shiozaki like didn't necessarily like look amazing, they still like, you know, they were in the Tokyo Dome. You know, that's so interesting because I feel like you're right about Shio in some ways. Like, you know, Noah had this clear vision of him from the moment he rocked up because he was tall and he was handsome. And they were like, we are going to make you (laughs) a star. And they and they wanted that for him. Right. And that's why he's doing the Kobashi cosplay. And like, we don't see it here. But when Shio first really debuted, he debuted in KBS Hall, actually. Um, but once he got underway with his um, his debut, he was doing the full Kobashi cosplay, which like gets given to you if like, you know, Kobashi really loves you because um, Kenta had to do this too. You have to put on the <laughs> orange, you know, get up just like Kobashi wore in all Japan, which like happened mm-hmm. to Kenta and it happened mm-hmm. to Shio. And so like, but the, the, where the difference is that Kenta never really had to do the Kobashi cosplay. And that's where I think like him and Shio really, their paths separated, right? Because- that's a whole other podcast. Honestly, the Sons of Kobashi is a whole other podcast. But what's I think correct in that what you're saying, uh, Jason, is that like Shiozaki, like he he has like you can see that there is so much potential there, but he doesn't know how to tap into it. And it's like you're you're seeing that here. Granted, yeah. he's only a year into it, but this like is a theme for him that continues mm. and sort of haunts him um, going into the first several years of his career because you could see if this is he's in the black trunks is this if this is just any other young lion he he looks like well this will clearly be the best wrestler in the world um but because he was like kind of introduced like that way there was almost higher expectations you know he still looked all right Um, yeah he looked fine it's just that because you know what they were trying you know know what they were trying to do with him from the beginning making him do the kobashi light and like really like putting the weight of expectation on him early like priming this guy to be your ace it wasn't always clicking and firing with him early and that's like i think a thing that people assume about him it didn't click early it did not click early and that's okay it clicks later on but yeah it's like a very standard i think rookie showing from shiazaki worth watching right (laughs) yeah standard worth watching but standard we could talk at length too about noah's investment in the takeshi's and how that those that wild investment two. wild yeah. too and how that and those you know those investments in both of them together and separately how they kind of uh destroyed successes destroyed the company, dest- <laughs> destroyed the company maybe maybe <laughs> no actually, I, it's positives and negatives of that right looking back on that right I, i'm being sarcastic i apologize but like th- that like 
looking back and I mentioned this to, to Captain Lou when I was talking with him about him earlier, like it's really insane how much they put into them. And they were, they were both uh, Riccio. I don't know. Mauricio was very exciting for a while. Riccio, I, I, I had moments with him, but like they did, they did. And now it's just sad to think, right now we're in 2023, just they're both not wrestling, not there. Just, and it's just like, I, I will also say this watching back in 20, I mean, I started watching Noah like 2002 to that, like while two what that was one of those like concepts that like grabbed me because I was like they're just pushing these two like huge young dudes and like I was like it's just a clear cool thing it was very defined and they weren't afraid to push them clearly and that was another thing that was just like that's a very I, mean, I don't know it sounds simple but it's you know for back then it, it was almost revolutionary it's, you know here's something simple uh we're gonna push these two you know big dudes and we're just we're not gonna be afraid about it so I also just noticed as I was talking my note um the the doomsday device spin kick as well which was done by Yone um but I just I had to just say something about that but wild too yeah like it sucks that they're just not right they're not there like it didn't destroy the company but like that that they weren't they arguably had their success but that they aren't still able to like reap rewards from that success right now it, it stinks and they went through some rough patches. I was, I, I forgot, I had blocked it out of my mind that it was Rikio who ended Kabashi's reign. Um, there's just a lot. We're going to oh. get into that. that. Yeah, we have yeah. so much to say about that. Because like, that's what's all that's what's all looming in the background. It's like there's all of these, there's the weight of expectations by yes. the fans. There's the unhappiness around the state of the GHC because of that. We'll get into that later. There's also the the looming crash of the industry happening behind right. destiny which if you just watch destiny in a bubble you do, you do not get the sense that the industry is crashing down around them <laughs> other than misawa's comments of like we did not think we were going to the tokyo dome this year because who could afford the tokyo dome he's saying that in so many words right, right? you don't get that sense but it's interesting because if you um for those of you listening and then also rachel will know this because we recorded it together but we talk about how by the time they get to the budokan in 2008 to do kenta versus marafuji for the junior titles the title versus title singles match the industry is fucking dire it is the dark ages of japanese pro wrestling watching. by then you know how bad it has to be for me to stop yeah for you to not want to watch <laughs> this shit like, it has to be fucking dire right? but that's how really. that's the space of three years but they yeah. can feel the industry starting to get really 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 bad in 2005 with this many people in the dome so there's a lot of things happening in the background but then you have all of these other issues of Noah having a difficult time making a star, but this fan rejection of when they do try to make a star. And the Takeshis are a part of that is the long way of saying yeah, that all, yeah, basically. No, that, the Takeshis are a part of that. Morishima is a part of that. So yeah, essentially where we've landed on this, I think, is that this match is okay. And um, Yone is kind of the best part of it, even though Jason Jason (laughs) doesn't like the hardcore belt, even though it's one of my favorite parts of Noah lore. I just remember, I just remember Akiyama holding it, I think. And I was like, why? He's the first winner. Why are you doing Akiyama? He went to, I don't know if you know this, Jason. He went to Misawa basically and said, I have an idea and you've got to write the check because we need the belt. And Misawa said, fine. And that's how it happened. Amazing. I I don't know. Yeah, I did not know this. Oh, Why you, Akiyama? You need to listen to our episode because we, okay, we did a whole episode on it. Yeah, okay, it's okay, so okay, good. It's amazing. also, and we'll talk about this when we get down to Marafuji. This is like an integral piece of like Marafuji's path to being taken seriously as a heavyweight, which granted like was a rough 
start, you know, even like through his first like uh-huh. GHG heavyweight title reign. But the hardcore belt is fascinating. And there's no better champion, though, than Yone, because this is peak Yone time. This he is when he's like it. a fucking murderer. He's yeah, and crazy. He was, right. And that's what's the, the Yone. He's all right. He's this also the battle arts, like, you know, mm-hmm. guru, like who decided just just once 2000 hit, he would just coast the rest of his career. And that's fine. It's actually fine. It provided it's provided us 23 years of great undercard, mid-card wrestling. And then this, yeah, insane run. <laughs> so um. that finisher that he does though in this match is just yeah he's he can be a killer and he's he he is hardcore yone like and you'll see it even now occasionally he'll just pull it out and he's still he's still got it he's still got bloodlust it's so cool (laughs) so cool and i think actually i do believe he still has the hardcore title i believe he has it for on display in his restaurant so it's his belt it's he is the most iconic well if it's his if it's his belt then i i take back what i said about open weight belts it's just there have been so many lately most of them from new japan um that have kind of hurt the concept and actually what you're saying alicia about the business dying, re- 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 not dying, but get, going down. Right, this show. Mm-hmm. One one of the t- big takeaways from the show, the crowd is so hot, it's so bright. If you do want to see examples of the, of the business dying, watch New Japan Tokyo Dome shows from this time, mm-hmm. and that is a very clear like nobody cares different experience because right. Noah at this time is actually riding, still riding a wave of popularity that is eclipsing New Japan. So you'd be shocked. Right. You'd be right? shocked to see it. So that so the, right it's it's amazing like I remember right this is kind of the, it's going down but like still it it's such an exciting show this feels like the biggest thing like yeah in history the second match <laughs> yeah the second yeah. match <laughs> you see what the no undercard does that is the magic yeah, yeah that lot, is it is going on you see where they go their journeys their destinies their destinies <laughs> there are destinies. There is nothing more undercard, though, to me in this match than the third match. Um, and that would be Dark Agents. So Akitoshi Saito, Kishin Kawabata, and Masao Inoue. And uh, with Shiro Koshinaka defeating Akira Taue, Haruka Aigen, Jun Izumita, and Takuma Sano in 11 minutes and 56 seconds. I don't want to insult anyone listening. Sometimes you genuinely run out of time to get everybody into your outline. So there are a lot of people with All Japan, Noah, and in Eigen's case, JWA history in this match. But I'm going to focus on giving a little bit of background on Akatoshi Saito because we really want to put him over. Um, However, I do want to point out that Koshinaka has a fascinating career and you should look him up or seek out one of Matt Charlton's books to give you some more information. But he has a really interesting relationship to Misawa and is the first IWGP junior heavyweight champion. So he is someone worth looking up if you haven't heard his name in a while. Really, really, really interesting All Japan history. I I was surprised to see him pop out here. I completely forgot he had his little Noah run, right? He just, he's always just around. He, I think he worked, he was right. He was working the G1 climax, like a couple of years before this. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he was just here just doing his thing. Yeah. This is a lineup of just, just ugly, amazing wrestlers. <laughs> are just not nothing. Nobody's idea of an exciting night at the matches, but some of my favorites. <laughs> 
Absolutely. I'm with you, Jason. So with that being said, let's talk about Saito real quick. So he's a uh, karateka and he made his pro wrestling debut in December of 1990. It's hard to say exactly where he was wrestling as a freelancer during that time. There's some gaps in information, but he was part of the launch of Wing in 1991. Uh, Saito went on to have a career in New Japan, but he left there in 1998. During his hiatus from wrestling, I need you to know he opened a shop bar in Nagoya City and a martial arts dojo named Naughty in Komaki City. He returned to pro wrestling in 2000 after receiving a call from pro wrestling Noah and eventually joined Sternness, where he became Akiyama's tag partner, and they went on to win the GHC Heavyweight Tag Team Championships. In 2004, he formed Dark Agents with Masao Inoue, Takashi Sugira, and Kishin Kawabata, which is who we see him with at Destiny at the time of the show. Today, Saito is a five-time GHC Heavyweight Tag Team Champion, and he's a NOAA mainstay, usually performing in the NOAA under two mid-card. He has a pretty interesting history of going from freelancer to signed to NOAA as well, when you like really look into all the details of it. He is also on Japanese commentary, and he is an outstanding commentator, along with Hikaru Inoue, and also regularly provides character and story analysis in blog form that is a wonderful complement to the wrestling. And you can find those on note.noah.co.jp. It is really worth looking into. He is a fantastic writer. Um, He writes like he got lost on Wikipedia for a few hours and then has a lot of thoughts on pro wrestling Noah. So I highly recommend you read them because he's just incredible, incredible mind for wrestling. So on this match, Shupro writer Ichikawa notes... One of the most important points was Koshinaka's energy. So I'm glad that you mentioned him, uh, Jason. He even made Taue hip attack him. So the energy felt by the wrestlers in the ring must have been even greater than those on the outside. Koshinaka burning in the center of the dome. So I really like that. I like that as sort of a conversation starter for this match. What did you guys think of it? It wasn't like... It, it was great, but it was not good. It was like the, the wrestling was ugly, but like it's still like so much fun. Uh, the crowd was popping for Tawe doing the hip attack and basically doing anything. Um, it's it's a cast of characters here. We had uh, Sano and, and Saito. Sano started as a junior heavyweight, and here he is having like a hoss off with uh, Sano. Jeez, Inoue is just like, barely moves I, I don't even remember kawabata in this match but like he he was there he he did something maybe um it, like izu and inoue they're like just kind of like just just slowly just wrestling but like the crowd was into it i think that like that's the craziest is just the crowd is going nuts for like arguably what could have been the the worst match of the show but also like i, I don't know it, it was this this was a match that when it ended uh and spoiler alert, but Izumaido gets rolled up and, and he just kind of like shrugged at the end. Just like, oh, sorry, guys. And that's kind of like the violent, you know, the, the, the Bulldogs in a nutshell, just that whole crew. Like, Tawe just kind of got his like boring group of guys and they just went and had their matches. Um, this was fun. It it wasn't amazing, but it was fun. That's and that's all your undercard needs. And I and I and I have a weird fondness for all eight of these of these gentlemen. Yeah, it's it's that fondness, I think. And like to me, like you see these names and you and you watch this match. This is a very much like these guys are are often Noah mainstays at this time, right? And then of course there's a Kiritawe, right? Um, so 
to see the names it's like it immediately brings you back to certain eras of pro wrestling noah and there's that like element of nostalgia there that like never really goes away right like we still see people like Masao in a way float around here and there but there's something about this this era of of pro wrestling noah and a lot of these names like that are just that's just really special and like koshinaka is is really cool to see here i like always forget that he's a part of this match for some reason and then i see his name and i'm like that's wild and i have to remember that like he has this incredible history and connection to all japan and misawa and i'm like blown away again by um by that and again I, I really recommend like looking up like him and, and looking at uh, Matt Charlton's work and, and reading some of the stuff about him because he's fascinating but yeah um Akira Tawe is so is so fantastic in this I actually thought that Sano was also really great in this I would call him like mm-hmm. the MVP of the match for just like the sheer effort that he put in during he, this he was the, maybe the only guy arguably like doing what we might call today <laughs> yeah. wrestling but yeah. back that you know yeah. Yeah, he, so. he came to wrestle actually yeah, he, yeah. Yeah. he was actually trying to wrestle he was yeah he was doing his thing but yeah like Jason said it's just fun there's like this element of nostalgia to it, especially if you've seen a lot of like Noah during this time period and like you're really used to these is, names this is a time period of a match I guess because like like mm-hmm. I like I don't maybe I don't know yeah so some someone not yeah someone else with no, no context has to watch this because like I just I watch this match I'm like oh there's my old buddies let's let's do a reunion um like and talking about just like nostalgia how you know, we, we, you know, what we like about matches, not what I remember about shows, like certain things, like this match has two, I believe, people who have passed away since the show. And it's like, I, it's just like, Noah, I, I did stop watching, but I still remember very vividly hearing that Junior Demida had passed away. And that was just like, I, don't, I, I, I felt m- more sad about it than I thought I would. It was almost like this moment of like, oh, he never got his like moment in Noah, but also like, yeah he had a fine career he wasn't like the greatest wrestler in the world he was okay but like i don't know it's the weird thing that the noah way does to like give connection to these guys um and like i remember like egan uh, and that's why i was i i I apologize i got mota and egan confused from like time period basically because i remember when egan passed away it was a few weeks after trump had got elected and like i was just like the world's fucking over. Like, like what everything's just happening. Like, this is just this is now Egan's dead. My child, my my high school childhood is over. Like, just all this stuff. Long way of saying, Noah has a very good way about creating connections with you know even like yeah, just all these guys are very they're 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 charismatic in their own way. They're they're like charming older Japanese guys, and they're not like super athletically amazing besides Sano, um, but <laughs> they are you know. Uh, clearly they made me care about them for a little bit so no but you're right you know that reminds me too of like you know there's obviously the more like appropriately sad things we could talk about with like um Egan passing away and you know things like that right and there's there's some of the larger scale ones too like Atsushi Aoki is is on this card he's he's not actually on the card he's a he's like a second he's running around um at ringside but you see his face very clearly towards the end of the card he's no longer with us you talk mm-hmm. about Misawa to death he's no longer with us mm-hmm. um but there's also like you know when Kikuchi um retired like Mara Fuji went to um to go see him when like he retired and like um some of those guys still like will do that and like then go take photos with them and like you know show you like oh here's like these guys that are still connected to us and like they all still very much seem connected to a lot of these folks. And like, it kind of 
ropes you in always with some of these guys, right? That you never quite forget. Like I was really like, you know, happy that Marafuji like made a point to like go see Kikuchi and like show people Kikuchi and like was there yeah. for like some of his That's retirement awesome. stuff because like that matters you know he's not it's, he's not going to get like Kikuchi is not a guy that's going to get a retirement show right um but Mara Fuji went and, and saw him and was there for his retirement stuff and like put it on on Twitter so that people could pay respects to him and like that's that's important that's like a, that's a very Noah thing I think they, they went on an arc together they went they went on a journey <laughs> they they did <laughs> they went on a boat and they said we're gonna go do this thing and yeah, they, they out of that came Akira Taoi having his own stable <laughs> of, of, of and, and Saito, the dark the dark agents. Um, I'm having weird memories of a tag team title shot that they had. They they were always very just fine. I, although I loved Inoue, just the the weird charisma that he could bring. But just a just a just just the most fine, and that's not an insult. The most, the most fine, just okay, tag team, like very but, aesthetic, but not yes. ex, not like super. Like you're not going to go to them for like super cool wrestling stuff. It's really actually very odd that they put Sugira, and it's probably because like, it, I mean, take a look at the people there. Like it's weird that Sugira was put with them. I don't know if that was like a Taue influenced thing but like it's weird Tsukira was put with them I prefer like Saito when he was in sternness like anytime like Saito was working with Akiyama was good he later he worked with like Akiyama later yes, on yes. too he was so, really good with Akiyama he was so <laughs> to be fair to Saito. good with yes <laughs> yeah he was so like yeah, his right. best work easily is yes. with Akiyama yes. both times he really gets to do it but like yeah dark agents is 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 what it is but it's mostly cool for like just the weird campiness of it and like the aesthetics like that campiness was very much a part of the early years of pro wrestling noah it's very early 2000s and i love that it really like sucks me back into that era even though i didn't get to experience it the way jason did it still feels like tangible to me it's amazing yeah there there was they were a distinguished part of the show you know like "Ah, there's it, it's so funny because when I was reading the um, write-up by Ichikawa, the tone that he had about like Saito, it, the tone he conveyed with Saito was that Saito also felt the dark agents were just kind of fine. Like, I think he opens his backstage <laughs> comments with like, we did our job in the third match. Amazing. Like, we Amazing. sure did wrestle. <laughs> Wait, tell everyone the really funny thing he says. So afterwards, um, in the backstage, he states... Of course, there will be comedy and tears, but I have one big goal after every dome. This time, I will go even harder for the third term of Dark Agents. Until now, I have been intentionally silent. Next tour will be more aggressive. I will destroy Mushi King Terry. Why? That is like genuinely a top 10 funny thing right. that has ever been said in a pro wrestling Noah backstage. Right. The 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 deadpan uh, 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 of Mr. Saito. That's amazing. <laughs> and Terry hadn't even debuted yet. That's, That's the next amazing. match. Yeah. It was all a strategy. That's the best. Yeah. Love it. Because he's gonna he is a carny, and I appreciate it about them. He's gonna get in on this sweet, sweet video game anime hopeful cash grab. And I appreciated that about Saito. We're gonna get into that in a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about grabbing. grabbing. (laughs) Let's get into it, actually. Without further ado, the match you've all been waiting for. Ah. Mushi King Ah. Terry 
uh, also known as a masked Kotaro Suzuki, defeats um, Black Mask Mushi King Joker, which was mostly just referred to as Black Mask, and that would be a masked Ricky Marvin. And uh, that match was seven minutes and 59 seconds. All right, so Kotaro Suzuki... He is the first true Noah-born wrestler, having passed the entrance test for the Noah Dojo out of 200 other applicants, but being the only one out of four applicants to get through the first year or so of dojo training. He debuted in December 2001 under his real name, Yasuhiro Suzuki, became Misawa's attendant, and joined Misawa and Ogawa's faction Wave. His name was changed to Kotaro in February 2002, and the name was given to him by Misawa. The kanji literally means drumming, Thick and Sun, and Kotaro stated in his Human Wrestler story from the December 1st, 2010 issue of Shupro that Misawa gave him the name in hopes of him becoming, quote, a wrestler who resounds like a taiko drum, end quote. In 2002, he was doing your standard rookie fair, though he was eliminated from the first round of a tournament to crown a new GHC Junior Heavyweight Champion by Kenta that May. In 2003, Kotaro and Marafuji challenged Liger and Koji Kanemoto for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Championships and lost in June of that year. In 2004, Kotaro would challenge Maruken for the GHC Junior Heavyweight Tag Championships with Yoshinari Ogawa and lose. Kotaro challenged again with his tag partner Ricky Marvin later that year and lost as well. He had his first singles title match against Liger that year for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, but came up empty-handed. In 2005, Kotaro got to work as Tiger Emperor and Mushi King Terry, which is who we got to see him as in the Tokyo Dome for the Destiny card. It wasn't until April 2007 that Kotaro won his first title in NOAA, the GHG Junior Heavyweight Championship, but as Mushi King Terry. In the years since, he has ditched the Terry gimmick, gone on to become a four-time GHG Junior Heavyweight Champion, a five-time GHG Junior Heavyweight Tag Champion, and held titles in other companies such as All Japan, DDT, Dragon Gate Zero One, and Russell won. Kotaro left Noah during an exodus with Jun Akiyama, Goshi Azaki, Atsushi Aoki, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru in 2012 and began wrestling for All Japan. He has been a freelancer since leaving All Japan in 2015 and returned to Noah for some time before leaving again in 2022. So, Ricky Marvin, he's a luchador from Mexico who debuted for CMLL in April of 99. He wrestled his first Noah matches in 2003, and by 2004, Noah was his main promotion, and this would continue through 2012 and 2013-ish. During his time with Noah, he became an important mainstay of the junior division, though not really as this main event guy per se. He did have three noteworthy GHG Junior Heavyweight tag reigns and then won the vacant GHG Junior Heavyweight belt in 2011, only to immediately vacate it because he wanted to defeat a returning Katsuhiko Nakajima, Nakajima's injury being the only reason the belt was vacant to begin with. Mind you, he did lose. But Ricky was really well known for certain tag team partnerships that produced incredible matches and stand out singles matches during his time with the company, even if he didn't have the gold to show for it. One of his most noteworthy partnerships was with Kotaro and going into Destiny, they were tag partners, but working against each other in the whole Mushi King Terry storyline. Ricky still had some Noah matches in 2013 and 2014, but Noah stopped being his full-time promotion after 2013, and he went to AAA. He was predominantly with AAA until 2017, but now mostly freelances for various Lucha promotions. Ricky also had a stint on Lucha Underground while he was with AAA, where he appeared as Bengala. So you might have seen Bengala and not even have known it was Ricky Marvin. That's actually me. I didn't know that until I read your bio that he was Bengala. So that's really, really cool. 
Same. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the thing I want to introduce is Mushi King, the King of Beatles. And that was a popular arcade card game among kids in the early 2000s. The lore of this match and for Mushi King Terry in general was detailed by Hiroshi Arai in Shoe Pro 1272. Noah President Misawa is, as we all know, great friends with Dr. Nebu of the Mushi King Research Institute. One day, a Noah wrestler happened to discover a legendary mask in the Institute's laboratory. When he put it on, he transformed into Mushi King Terry and saved President Misawa's life. In response, an angry Dr. Black, who is Dr. Nebu's uh, nemesis, announced that he would send a wrestler wearing a similar black mask to the Tokyo Dome. Thus, on this day, Terry and Dr. Black's assassin would settle the score in a professional wrestling match. I also want to note that Dr. Black had apparently implanted a microchip into Black Mask's uh, mask that allowed Dr. Black to communicate with uh, the Dark Mushi King, Mushi King Joker, and help him cheat. Which is absolutely hilarious considering that Joker Marvin wrestles this match almost entirely clean, which was noted in another write-up on this match written by Matsumoto. So that that's just really funny to me that they're like, oh, he has this microchip and oh, he can cheat. And then, you know, he, we do Lucha. You know, you know, when you put the backstory that way, this sounds amazing. Um, <laughs> and, the, and the match was kind of a little awesome, but... I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt the intro because I just have like one thought on this match and just one memory, and that will never leave me. And it's just that all the pan to, of the camera to these unimpressed children. It was like, wow, Noah, you finally like were like, let's maybe market to kids, and, and like they went so over the top that like the kids were like, nah, <laughs> like please stop. But like also they they didn't have to like. Yeah, pan the camera all the time to the kids. It was, it was, this is Noah going for something. Uh, clearly, I laugh about it now. That That's it. It's, it's funny. Um, the thing about that, that's really, <laughs> really, really funny and also kind of unfortunate. They need this to work badly because Noah, the story of Noah is that they need money all the time. They need money immediately. Right. They need money at destiny so the thing they need to work is this musha king terry thing but they needed to do like the reverse of the liger thing and that like the liger thing like was an anime and then they created a wrestler out of it right they need yeah. the musha king terry thing to do it in reverse in which they get it to work as a wrestling thing from the arcade game and then they can create an anime out of it and that's going to get on tv and then this is going to be a huge like cash making so, so, so this venture was... for them this was a Noah create like a Noah created char character. Like I mean, like like okay, wow, they really went all out for this one. They tried really hard, and like in you you noted, like the kids are unimpressed. What's also hilarious to me is that like clearly the camera crews that are deployed across the Tokyo Dome are getting kids somewhere to scream, right? But they're not screaming because of the match. And there's nothing, there's no children in front of the ring screaming. And there's no right. people in front of the ring screaming. You know, this... so all you hear is the kids screaming from the opposite sides of the arena that you can't see in front of the ring yelling. 
but it's not about the match. And then when they show the kids in the crowd, they're just standing in the aisles looking hot and bored. But it's like a how WWE would approach, like like try to like introduce a cool new like yeah like yeah like get over here get this camera shot get, and like <laughs> yeah the, the end product uh, still like eight minutes of really sweet wrestling. Like that's the, that's the ironic thing about Mushi Mushik and Terry like. He was still like really always good. Th- those matches I-, I remember being really great. Like the junior title matches, like Katar Suzuki kind of rules. It's just, yeah, he's, you know, they-, they-, they really tried a little too hard here. It's really interesting. And I'm glad you guys mentioned this because in the two write-ups that I uh, read and translated for this, both the writers were trying really, really hard to convince the reader that the kids were going wild from their cheering sections. They had specific Mushi King Terry cheering sessions, which they never stated, but I'm willing to bet they gave tickets to families to put them in those cheering sections. Like I'm almost willing, I'm really willing to bet on that um, because they are significant. Like they're specified as being cheering sections. And uh, yeah, the writers are trying really hard to uh, to just talk about how exciting the kids are and how this arcade game is so popular with the kids, which had like middling sales. It was it was pretty good. I went in to look when you had asked um, Jason if um, Mushi King was already an existing character. I had actually mm. looked a couple days ago, like mm. Googling it in Japanese to like look around at the at the character wiki, the character guide. Yeah, the, the um, no, no, he was a Noah original. They that's, the lore is Kotaro Suzuki found a mask and put it on. That's, that's really pretty amazing. I like that actually. <laughs> I and like, like he's more, the but... right guy to do it because like Kotaro is like an right. apologetic nerd. So was Misawa. And it makes sense that they would like that Misawa would do this to his a green son. superhero, right? Yeah, like it makes it. sense that yeah. Misawa, a huge unapologetic nerd, would do this yeah, to yeah. his son, a huge unapologetic nerd. So, like, it works. I commend him and Ricky Marvin for doing this because they clearly can't see. Like the masks are so they don't fit well. They're they're clearly not made yeah, by a good mask maker. Shoulders. They they have to move the masks like all the time, like when they're wrestling. And like what a pain in the ass it has to be for them. So like I commend them. They probably can't see for shit. You can tell it's them. Like you can like Kotro's hair is so it's so obvious. Like I can see it's Ricky from like if he's standing at the top of the stage and I'm standing at the ring, I know it's him because of the way he walks and the eye cuts. I know it's Ricky. So like that's hilarious to me but like it's funny because my like getting into this card for the first time I learned a couple of things from like just general passing opinions people say this match isn't good people say the main event isn't very good people think the Riccio match isn't very good so you learn like which matches people say are like the not good matches and this one is one of them but I think it's because people don't dive into what this match is and like the lore around it but also like when you watch it remove from people being like, oh, they're like in these goofy costumes and like whatever, it's a Kotro Suzuki and Ricky Marvin match. It's right, not it's their best up. match, but they did a good job in eight minutes it's... with a bunch of like bored kids staring at them. And and I would like New Japan always famously had like junior heavyweight title matches that would get like no heat like at all at the Tokyo Dome. And like crowds going, I mean, I don't know, the kids weren't, but the crowd was going pretty wild for everything for the whole time. So that was very cool. Yeah, like. Yeah, Mushiki and Terry. Uh, the, just the camera shots, the kid. It's it's a fascinating match to watch. It's just it's just yeah. It's clearly trying to create a deal. Mm-hmm. God, it's it's still yeah. haunting me all these late years later. <laughs> How hard they were trying. 
when I had watched this match the first time, which uh, my background is that I watched Destiny in full for the first time literally a year ago. Um, so I'm very new to the show, relatively speaking. But the first time I watched it with Alicia, I had assumed it was just like a collaboration match to promote the card game. And yeah, that right. Mushi King Terry would go away and never come back after the show. But that's not what oh, happened. No. Oh, no. <laughs> that's, that's definitely not what happened. And then um, after this match, Mushi King Terry uh, does vow to continue fighting in the Noah Juniors, um, which he does until like 2008 in July. So I was really kind of amazed at that. Yeah. Potro wins his first title singles champion as Mushi King was Terry. Like they to stick around the match. They did this for a while. Of those three matches you mentioned that people said weren't very good, I disagree with two of those three. Well, we'll see. But this is one of the ones that I think are good. Was good. So yeah, that's that's the teaser for later. <laughs> I think I think we've already been spoiled a little bit. What that uh, third? That's one true. Is, I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind I, yeah, of you kind of gave that yeah. away. Save our comments. Save our comments. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, then we'll just move right on along um, to a match that I don't think any of us have any complaints about. And that is the GHC Junior Heavyweight title match. Kenta defeats Yoshinobu Kanemaru in 20 minutes and 31 seconds. Yoshinobu Kanemaru falls on the sixth defense. So Yoshinobu Kanemaru, he debuted for All Japan Pro Wrestling in July of 96 and won the Tokyo Sports Rookie of the Year Award in 98. He was Kenta Kobashi's first valet and joined Kobashi's burning, becoming one of the inaugural members of the faction alongside Jun Akiyama and Kentaro Shiga. After the 2000 roster split, he followed his seniors to Noah, but was no longer a valet. He actually turned on Kobashi and joined Akiyama's sternness as things kicked off in Noah. And from there, Kanemaru began to establish himself as the junior ace of this new promotion. By July 2005, Kanemaru had become the inaugural GHC junior heavyweight champion and was in his third reign with the title Walking Into Destiny. He had also held the IWGP junior heavyweight tag championships with Tsuyoshi Kikuchi and just started a GHC junior heavyweight tag championship reign with Sugira in June 2005, becoming the first wrestler in Noah's history to hold the junior singles belts and the junior tag belts at the same time. Walking into this match with Kenta, he is the guy of the juniors division and commentary quite literally calls him a king. That is the impact he already had on Noah, but also on the industry by the time we see him walking down the ramp in the Tokyo Dome. It was actually the year previously at Noah's first Tokyo Dome show. He beat Liger. Yep. Defending str- the singles, like, the GHC junior belt. I can only concur with that assessment. Like he was the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's he. He still might be. I <laughs> can't stress enough that Kanemaru made Naomichi Marafuji, Kenta, Takashi yeah. Sugira, yeah. and so many others that you know and love. Hiromu Takahashi and El Desperado of New Japan talk often of his yep. influence on them and how they approach wrestling today. And I'm leaving out like a zillion titles he's held across Noah. All Japan. Has he's he held a title in New Japan yet? Maybe a maybe a I don't know about the belt? title, but the, the tag titles. He and Desperado had a bunch. The yes, Jesus, yes, the yes. Okay. yes he's, he's had some stuff in yep. New Japan. So like I cannot stress enough, like your to be honest, your opinion on Kanemaru tells me a lot about you. And that's all <laughs> I'm going to say there. I agree. I uh, yeah, 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 people. 
<laughs> State Moving your opinion on, on Katamaro. Yeah, that's what you have to get on this podcast now. You have I to tell us your opinion on Katamaro. People. I I have like recent within the last year given like many stars to Kanemaro matches. So is that why I was uh, invited here finally? Because yes, I vetted you I, intensely. Awesome. Yes. Good. Good. Because hey, Kanemaro got me here. You got just another one he put over. So that's right. Let's sorry. Let's talk about the other guy. Let's talk about the other guy. Yeah, his name is Kenta. Kenta Kobayashi debuted for All Japan Pro Wrestling in May of 2000, but had entered the All Japan Dojo after passing All Japan's first public tryout in August of 99. We have covered Kenta's early career in Noah and his trials in both Maruken Part 1 and our first Matches We Love episode, so I'll direct you there if you want a full refresher. But a few things to note are that he was a valet for his mentor, Kenta Kobashi, and these two did feel a special connection with each other because their names are only off by one letter. Kenta didn't drop his shoot surname until July of 2001, and then he started going by Kenta and capitalized Ramaji in order to stand out from his senpai. Kenta had his big breakout moment in May 2002, capitalizing on the void Marafuji left when he needed to vacate the GHG Junior Heavyweight Championship due to injury. Kenta made it to the finals of the tournament held to determine the new champion, only falling to Yoshinobu Kanemaru in the finals, but his performances in the tournament really made an impression. When Marafuji returned in January 2003, he and Kenta began working together, usually joined by Kotaro Suzuki, against their natural enemies in Kanemaru, Sugira, and Makoto Hashi. You can feel everyone splitting off along faction lines here, with burning and wave guys on one side and sternness and even dark agents guys on the other. In July 2003, Kenta and Marafuji entered a tournament held to determine the inaugural GHC Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, defeating Liger and Takahiro Murahama in the finals. Maruken held the junior tag titles for a record-setting 690 days from July 2003 to June 2005, and to this day hold the record for longest title reign with those belts. The Maruken era of pro wrestling Noah is perhaps the most defined era of the company, and important not only just to the promotion, but to wrestling writ large for what they accomplished Accomplished in that time and what it gave way to because Marafuji and Kenta use this period as the launching pad for the wrestling that changed an industry, defined a generation, and continues to inspire to this day. During the Maruken tag era, Kenta began his seven trials in January 2004 and fought Hoofentude Guerrera, Yoshinari Ogawa, Jun Akiyama, Yoshihiro Takayama, Kenta Kobashi, Mitsuharu Misawa, and finally Naomichi Marafuji in November 2004, all as GHC Junior Heavyweight Tag Champion. He donned the chocolate banana shorts, as they're nicknamed, and debuted his go to sleep against Misawa during those matches. These trials put him through the fire and made him the man we see walk down the ramp into the Tokyo Dome to face Yoshinobu Kanemaru for the GHC Junior Heavyweight Championship, only just having lost the tag belts to Kanemaru and Sugira the month before, and having allegedly told Marafuji, who was dabbling with moving to heavyweight again, I'll go at it alone. This was also Kenta's fourth GHC Junior Challenge and his third against Kanemaru, having unsuccessfully challenged him in May and December 2003. His other unsuccessful challenge was against Sugira. So in the special edition Shupro Destiny magazine that I went through, writer Shimizu sort of covers um, some things that Kenta said going into this match. Um, and he was very confident and it led to him making, and I quote, a number of fearless statements criticizing Kanemaru. Kenta states, I've said a lot of things about his style, so I had to take responsibility for what I said. This time he wanted to give his thoughts with results rather than just with words. So that sort of sets us up 
into this match. During the write-up of the match itself, Shimizu sort of describes this match as Kenta being gradually consumed by the skills of Kanemaru, who had won the belt three times and defended it 10 times in total. No matter how many techniques he threw at Kanemaru, he was stopped at key moments by a single counterattack by Kanemaru. However, Kenta fought with this one thought in mind. It's not about the technique. It's about the feeling that you can never lose. And I think that's just a beautiful way to open the curtain on this match. Um, yeah, this the champ is here. <laughs> what can we say about this match other than how utterly incredible it is? What, what you just said, it, everything that was just said is so epic. And, and, and a lot of people write a lot of words about wrestling. And, and sometimes they try to make it sound more epic than it actually is. Or they try to attach like narratives to matches that 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 aren't really there. Everything you just said is that I, I, I've said a lot of things about his style. I, I, I did, I fight with determination that that's happening in this match. This seeing this match again, this might be my favorite match ever. <laughs> like I, and I, I'm going that far. Like this is an amazing, amazing, amazing match. Kenta's crown is crown champion. Both these guys are just, two of the best in the world at the time, right? We already talked about Kenny Maru, Kenta, it, you know, it, a lot has been said about, we'll say OG Kenta. Uh, and it's fun. Both of them are in New Japan right now to the point where they're almost like, kind of like memed wrestlers and something, you know, Kenny Maru's got the whiskey and, they, you know, Kenta's got his props. Back here, they were the guys and they actually went out here to the Tokyo Dome and had the match that said that they are the guys, the most exciting and like thrilling, like that, you know, the reason we all actually watch wrestling, <laughs> that, like just inc one of the most amazing finishing sequences, like ever just like, it, it, there was like a twist on an amazing finishing sequence. It's like they, they had a great one and then they were doing twists on twists of that just, and that just created the, the crowd in a frenzy drama. Clearly that I love this man, this match rules. Uh, and the, intro was giving me goosebumps like because it's just like it sets the tone and they actually gasp deliver on it like and it's yeah love this match but what, what do you guys think <laughs> talk about this match all night <laughs> well speaking of uh favorite wrestling matches ever alicia this is this is pretty high up there for you if not your number one match right yeah i think i always try to pretend that there could be maybe something that would maybe eclipse it but i think this is it like this match this match like altered my brain chemistry like it, it's <laughs> you know I, like i didn't really i got into new japan first right when i first started watching wrestling which i think is most people's story they were just more accessible than yeah. than noah and um all japan were especially like when i like when you started watching jason i'm sure um mm -hmm. probably like a lot more tape traders in in noah and then when i started watching like world was was a thing but it was like still newer but it was easier to get to get to world than it was to find someone who could give you the hookup for Noah and all Japan. I mean, yeah, you'd get like MP4 files for Noah or something or the torrent hookup or real or hero. His yeah, there you go. The, yeah, there and there we go. Yeah. Rest so in rest in peace indeed. So it was watching Marafuji that made me realize that like that wrestling could be so different than even like what I was seeing when I was just watching New Japan. Like that really opened my mind to what like pro wrestling can be. And that's what really got me 
hooked into this in a way where like I wasn't going to walk away from it or that I couldn't walk away from it even at times where I, I've wanted to walk away from it but then watching I think this match like it, it really is like a, a brain chemistry altering match and that it doesn't make sense what they could do and yet they right. did it it really it, it doesn't <laughs> make any it's outstanding and like I really love when you can like the first couple times you watch it like for especially for me like even still I feel like I can't watch it like sitting down I feel like it's one of those things where like you gradually have to stand up because it puts you like on the edge of your seat even though you if you know the result nerve wracking sort of like oh my god because like they the way that they ratchet up the tension over and over and over and over again until you're not sure who is going to take the belt with them right but it's it's just it's outstanding I mean like you have these like beautiful entrances into the dome from both of them um Kenta walks out to the art and life remix which is such a great yeah which is perfect for him (laughs) at this time period Yeah, it's one of his best. Um, One of the things I love the most about this, too, is how they um, work each other. Kenta chooses to work Kanemaru's arm early on, and he's so clean with it. Like, he knows exactly what he's going to do to target that arm. He does it the entire time. But Kanemaru is the same exact way. He is targeting the head and neck of Kenta. And me and Rachel were actually talking about it when we were watching it over, um, I guess it was last week, and we were doing the rewatch of Destiny for this. And um, we were talking about why he would choose like the head and neck of Kenta. Why wouldn't he go for like the leg? Why, why is he doing that? And it's really because at that point, like the trials have set Kenta up to be such a, a killer. And this Marukan era of tag wrestling has sent Kenta up to be such a killer. He just has to stop Kenta. He can't even just go after one leg. Like he has to bodily stop kenta and that's why he's choosing to target the head and neck um because kenta struggles a little bit to get back into the ring every time he does something like crazy on the outside to stop him some of like kanemaru's ddts are fucking ill in this match like there's just things that they do that are like so simple like some of these ddts that they make look disgusting in this match it's like the i'm talking about like what their styles are like at the time like kanemaru is amazing entertaining incredible wrestler but still there's very simple Still, what he is today, just very just grounded, mm-hmm. d- down to earth wrestler, and so it it's almost like a cl- like a clash of styles, but two two opposing styles. Whereas Kento's more high impact. I'm just gonna you know grind it out and kick your ass. And again, well, Kenemaro, he's he's known for his his leg work, his wonderful leg work, and his leg selling and his limb work. But like then, like through that. Let, like just as they slowly right like you wonderfully stated alicia building the, the tension this is one of the greatest tension builders i've ever seen in a match because just it's just the way they're they're able to just so seamlessly like just get just make things go crazy without like they do some crazy moves but not that many it's just more like the, just the twists and the turns at the same time we keep we're talking like how quality epic this match is it's very simple like mm-hmm. kenta was the, the baby face here, at least the, the upstart rising star ready to get his crowning moment. And they baby face the, the heck out of him. And, and, and he, he just, he wins the title. He's he the baby face, but he has that great moment where like Kanemaru comes out from his entrance and he gets in the ring and Kenta gives him no time at all before gets he like face. chest bumps Kanemaru and hard. <laughs> yep. And like, that's Kenta. You're really like, you're illustrating for me, like you in this match, you're getting quintessential 
Kanemaru in terms of like who he he was at that time, like the king, yep. like in terms so of his confident. moveset and how and so confident in how he controlled a match and how he sets a match up, which he still does to this day. People that downplay I, like him as a wrestler, no. it's in his mind. <laughs> He's the one controlling the match. It's in his brain. But with Kenta, like you get like everything. I, I can't say enough about that time period of Noah. Like clearly from the way that I've set it up, it's like, it's my favorite time period. I think like the story progression from Kenta going from the Marokan tag era into his trials into this match is one of the most beautifully told stories anyone has ever done because it makes sense from A to Z in terms of how it works yeah, out. It, makes, it leads exactly. him right into his first singles title win. And he's the fucking guy because he beats the guy to do it. It's perfect. It, it like, it's, the, it's just an unbelievable storytelling. Yeah. It, the, the, cr- the craziest, most layered storytelling you'll see yet. The most simple, like just match, yes. like, but it's like, how can I, like the, but the most impressive stuff, uh, 20 of the best near falls you'll ever see. Um, like you're just non-stop it's the tokyo dome too and and they're going nuts they got enough people in there the crowd is like and it's crazy because like this it's it's beautiful because the sun is just starting to set the crowd the crowd the kids are actually paying attention (laughs) and the crowd is going through it with them in like this beautiful way because (laughs) they're finally engaged like fully engaged on the match it's actually full too like you're getting a full shot of the tokyo dome at this point people are all there the sun is starting to set so you get like this beautiful like all this golden hour stuff with like the match it's the most stunning thing because of its placement on the card like it's just like an unbelievable to me unmatched like experience you can't find to me another match that feels like this necessarily I don't know if DM me if you feel like there's a match that feels wow. quite like the experience of this, but there's so many even external things that make this match so unique in comparison. You know, you know, I almost like, yeah, I, I don't want it like besides the finish. And you know, I, I almost don't want to d- describe some of the like the sequences in depth because right, they're just so like a lot of good wrestling out there, folks. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of cool counters and yeah, to, journeys will take you on. But like, this is just, yeah, this is the one. Kabashi Sasaki, give me a break. It's, it's, but, um, it, I don't know about that. I, I know, I know. Yeah, exactly. That, well, that's for me, for me, this is the match. Like, I mean, Kobashi and Sasaki is obviously like we're going to get into that, but like this is this is the I, match this, of, this of destiny is a, for me. It's a combination of like uh, just amazing, uh, amazing story, like just but actually not some like long, you know uh, soap opera, like uh, just cr- a, a wrestler being crowned, getting their moment. But also, like, they're having this amazing match that's, like, it's a junior heavyweight match. But there's all, like, they work for Noah. So they've got the, the All Japans that they've been, tra- they trained in the All Japan Dojo. They've got, so in it, so it's, like, that smooth All Japan style, but with, like, the crazy near falls you'd expect from, like, the G1 climax. It's the best match. We talk about this a lot <laughs> in, like, the Maruken two-parter we did to start our rival series. But this is on the cusp of Kenta and Marafuji like really starting to change the industry in terms of how the how wrestling was happening right because there's a shift and there's it's funny we're going to talk about the the end of things in in the way that this card kind of kind of symbolizes things but these two also start to symbolize a shift into a new era of wrestling and they're also you know they're considered like the, a very definitive end to um it's like Rachel, do you remember like what I'm referring to? It's like the very, very much the end of the sort of like King's Road style and this new definitive like Maru Ken era yeah. style. 
That starts though after this period. It's really once that they're both kind of, it's once Marafuji is more firmly established as a heavyweight and they both start going back and forth into heavyweight. And there's of course like that, you know, the people are pissed. People really don't want to see them both like yeah, they're, you know, fighting for the title at heavyweight. I've got memories of that. Like, like that's just memory. I guess I'd add, like, I don't know if there's any mention uh, in, like, I don't think there are any mentions in, like the research of like, Kind of at the time, it was like Marufuji, Kenta, a little bit Kataro. There was like this vibe, hope that like, oh, we're just going to repeat the new generation army thing from the 90s in all Japan. And then we're going to have Misawa's like a Jumbo Saruda. It's like, oh, this is going to be, the, it's, you know, fan fiction. But like, that was kind of the. It's yeah. early, early 2000s Noah. You get Marufuji as sort of the leader in this. And him and Kenta right away, they don't want to be copies of misawa and kobashi and, that, and marafuji is very clear in his in his um his reasoning as to why and he he is really looking at i want to you know be like the part of the next four pillars it's going to be me he amazing. references um kenta and i want to say that he also includes rikio in that i don't think he says morishima i want to say sugira but i'm actually not sure that he says sugira it could very well be sugira though but he has this whole sort of idea for the next wave of four pillars that will eventually overcome their seniors and be the ones that are going to lead noah into the future the tragedy of that, that is that it sort of comes to fruition one day but they struggle so hard to do that and to establish themselves as that, exactly, yeah, not because there wasn't some opportunities that came about, but we can argue back and forth about did Noah mess this up? Did the opportunities come too soon, too too late? Did they pull the trigger at the wrong time? Um, there's a lot of fan reaction that goes into a lot of those decisions too. Like people did not react well. We'll get into Takeshi Rikio. We'll get into a little bit of you know Marafuji later on. Like people did not react well to some of these guys vying for the ghd heavyweight championship because they wanted to see misawa they wanted to see kobashi they wanted to see tawe so there's that constant fight between the generations of who do we want to see in our main event and who do we consider a real heavyweight and they did not consider people like marafuji and kenta real contenders full-time as that being heavyweights a huge point like it, it's uh, sorry but yeah i'm this little scrawny however old i was in 2005 um but like talk you know like hearing and you know have the discourse was right like even if yeah it'd be cool if they pushed kenta marafuji because they're like the best wrestlers but like yeah how is a junior heavyweight gonna you know be like they it just yeah and that was still just very prominent like everywhere just how are how are they going to be the champion so you've got people who will still the nostalgia is still there so they want to see the older stars and then you have also people who you know don't necessarily so just be junior heavyweights, just to, you know, do, do cool matches. So like, just no one's even like really excited for it. And then by the time it happened, I, the, you know, business is down. It, it, it like, I business feel like, is what, down, which hurt Sugira. Like that yeah, killed right. Sugira. Like the, the, right? Right. Like, and then like that hurt Mara Fuji too, because going into his first reign, I mean, like him and Kenta have that outstanding title match against each other for the GHC heavyweight championship. They got burned by low attendance in the Budokan and then they flip the belt back onto Misawa. Yeah, I remember. Yup. Oh Noah. <laughs> I'll, I'll second guess it yourself. Wow, that you Gosh. summed up. Okay, that's amazing. Yeah. I love yeah, this the, just the history of just like right, like I, I didn't know that Marafuji purposely got away from that 
But could that actually he, he didn't want to be an Isawa and Kenta that didn't want to be Kobashi, but they like, wanted to be a new four pillars to lead into the future. They knew that they, they could use brief, that, but there was like a two, I feel there was like a, a couple shows where it was like they're going here, and then right, like it just like it did dissipate. So that's that's, that's really cool. I and, and actually, like in retrospect, I'm I'm glad. Good good job, Mara Fuji. Like at the time, I was just like, just do the cool thing I want to happen, but like hey, it's you know, they they did forge like kind of a different different path, but still still kind of in the shadow of, of Little Masala. When we do other Mara Fuji things, Jason, you've just cleared the bar. I'm gonna bring you back on because we're gonna have Ooh. other conversations where I'm gonna Love need it. you to say good I job, know, Mara Fuji, so in other eras of his career. Like, just so much popular, like just a lot going on in wrestling at that time, right? Like, should they push Kenta more? Is the business gonna take just but like yeah, this could turn into six other podcasts where I would I know, just love right? to debate right. uh, that I'll, shit. Yeah. <laughs> long story short, this is yeah. like, if not the best match ever, it, it it deserves to be in the book of best matches ever. And I highly recommend just going, you know, listen to the rest of this, but then go and watch it because it's it's so good. It's just so good. Five stars. It's for you, Lou. We miss you, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We do miss you, Lou. I, I know he concurs. Five stars. Five stars. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. This but, is actual, a- but actual five stars. <laughs> like just incredible five stars. Not, not the sarcastic ones we give to Will Ospreay sometimes. Oof. <laughs> yeah. No, no, completely different flavor of uh, five stars. <laughs> well, on winning with the Busaiku Ni, uh, which Alicia, you put in a note that Kenta had debuted the G2S during his trials against Misawa almost a year before Destiny. He does use the Busaiku Ni here. Um, and he states, I knew I wanted to win with the Busaiku. It was an important technique for me as I was on the upswing, but you never know when the match actually happens. It just happened to be the right move. I got lucky. So I found that a really fascinating quote as and well. I feel that. It's just so like, yeah, this match feels real. <laughs> There's a lot of like crazy <laughs> stuff going on, but it, do they do the, the, the rare, that rare, amazing thing in wrestling? It's just so chaotic that i'm just like i'm in let's go who's who's i yeah this is real <laughs> they aren't working, they aren't working <laughs> together really, to do this. i'm glad you phrased it that way because that is a really good way to describe this match is that your suspension of disbelief is out the window and you're in it like this is just yeah. a very real match and um the term that alicia and i always use is stressful <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's a very stressful match because every single time you watch it, no matter how many times you know the outcome, it's a real match. (laughs) It's a match that for me, like I describe this with Kobashi a lot because like when I started watching Kobashi matches, I didn't understand, like I knew who he was from like a quick Google, but like I didn't know what I know now about Kobashi, right? But I would watch some of his matches from all Japan and like find myself crying, but it's not like because I'm sad or anything. It's because like, the emotion he can pull out of you from like the way he emotes his facial expressions, like the things that he does to work a crowd, he will work you through your TV. That's what Kobashi would do to me. That's what this match has always been able to do to me because you can, even if you don't know what we've just been able to convey to you in terms of the history of the time period and like both of those men going into this match, when you watch the match going in cold, you can feel the palpable emotion in in both of them, in the crowd, like those things like will, will sit in you as you're, as you're watching and you will feel that. Like I felt that even on like the first time I ever watched it where like, I wasn't even like, uh, a, a, like a quarter of the fan of, of Kenta that I am now like 
but this is the stuff that made me a fan of Kenta. This is like one of two matches where like I watched it and I felt like I understood exactly who Kenta was. It's this match and then his 2004 trials match against um against oh, Takayama. I felt like after I watched these two, I understood who Kenta was as a character and then also like as through extension of that as like a human being. So yeah, there's that too. I'm Kenta, the best, the freaking best. Uh, and Kanemaru just... I don't know if there's a prime kind of tomorrow. He just ages like a fine wine. He just still. He's still just, the guy. And if you don't think he's the guy again, I, it makes me think I, a certain type of thing about you. What, <laughs> when was the best of the super junior this year? Two months ago. It was a, a few months ago in May. He and El Desperado had a four-star match. I'm just going to promote it right now. I didn't review it yet in Happy Wrestling Land. Just basically, like, just, they were just working towards legs. But they 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 did what you do. It's it's just he's still doing it. I don't. It's and that's amazing. But this was when he was physical prime, still do it like just everything. Handsome, very handsome, young. Oh, he's still handsome. Uh, that, okay, yes, but like young Kanemar, I was like, my word, I forgot about you, sir. <laughs> like <laughs> just so so strong. Like yeah, he was ready to take over the world. Ah, oh, love love those two. Love this match. It's so good, and uh, <laughs> Shimizu does conclude. He was able, Kenta, he was able to win his first singles title in the fifth year of his debut. However, he was not happy with just that, which is typical of him. Kenta states, I'm happy, but I also feel a sense of responsibility. I think the best part is when you win it. This was the key learning he had acquired as a tag team champion in Marken for about two years. The word entrusted came out of his mouth many times. Kenta knew what it meant to wear Noah's greatest treasure around his waist. Behind his confidence, there was always a strong sense of responsibility. I have a feeling that this sense of responsibility will open the door to the era of Kenta's invincibility. This is really interesting to me. I loved this. I was obsessed with this. I'm so happy this is in one of the magazines I own. And we actually got into a little bit of this too in Maruken part one, talking about like how he felt after he won. Uh, I believe it was actually this belt. His strong sense of responsibility with everything. That is really important. That's where Misawa's freedom and faith comes in. Um, Misawa's freedom and faith really boils down to you can be whoever you want. You can do whatever you want. As long as there is a strong sense of responsibility around everything that you do and you take responsibility for everything that you do. And I always felt like Kenta really embodied the core tenets of freedom and faith in a way that other people like Kenta really embodies this so well. And like, even here, like he's saying like the happiest part is when you win, but He's already thinking about what he has to do to uphold the integrity of the belt that he just won. And that is such a Kenta thing. There's always that strong sense of responsibility and being able to own everything he says and everything he does. And I love that about him. I think it's one of like the, you know, most important things about him, really. And I think that it's funny because like, you know, we talk about people rather talk a lot about like the Kenta of like yesterday. Like this Kenta who sat down and made this comment in 2005, that Kenta still exists. Like he's the same person. He's just not 25 anymore. He, he showed up, he, he'll, he'll remind you a couple of times, but exa- exactly. Yeah. It's just, yeah, this time was when he was capable of it. This was his way of wrestling, you know, his, and it was, it's just like, he was unrelenting. Just, it was, when that bell rang, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it, it's real. But like, he actually did it <laughs> that way. No. 
Oh, Kenta Kobayashi. I think that was beautifully said, just that that sense of responsibility and and something you can still feel in him to this day. You really can, especially like in his backstage comments for New Japan, which um, often get passed around for being funny. But he also has a tendency to put it off the rails and make you move into your hands. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Make you Make you reflect on life or something. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. And and I see a lot of that Kenta, the old Kenta, as uh, Twitter will have you believe. Um, People are just mad because he, I mean, the WWE did like just neuter him. Like the, the the guy that freedom of everything, it all went away. They literally renamed him and he didn't get to kick everybody's ass in that company. And then they're just, he's judged for that, like, I think those people, though, those people mostly watch Noah via GIFs and Twitter. Well, right, exactly. Twitter. exactly. Right, right. They got to yeah. let it go because, right. you know, I, I've never it. seen. Oh, well, we, we could get into the, like the, the war crimes people have committed against Kanemaru. But um, but with Kenta, I've never seen people so fucking eager to hold against someone who is a veteran, who is a certified legend. He is undeniably a legend of this sport. I've never seen people so eager to hold against him that he is like 41 fucking years old. That's bizarre to me. That's insane. Yeah. No, and, and, and the, the, like what is being asked of him is like to, you know, smack people in the face like really super he hard. still just, does all a, his bits he gets yeah, yeah, every exactly. single like, one in his in his uh his ass. he's just not going at full speed anymore like what exactly. what do you want a 41 year old legend to do and why do you feel comfortable people. treating him like that but like not other people why is it kenta that gets treated like this but not other people who are around his age like what is that we could also have another podcast on like how takashi sugira doesn't get treated like this but mm-hmm. kenta gets treated like this because kenta cares Ooh. <laughs> so, well, here we go let's let's start the other podcast yeah let's, yeah. let's actually start talking about the other yeah. half of Mark. let's let's segue we'll book jason for other things later. I, hey i'm i have i have not i appreciate it all right so Good next up is the ghc tag team title match and minoru suzuki and now michimara fuji defeat Junakiyama and Makoto Hashi in 24 minutes and 55 seconds. This was the champion's first defense for the titles. So Makoto Hashi, Hashi debuted for All Japan in March 1998, and like his peers, followed their seniors to pro wrestling Noah after the roster split. Hashi is perhaps most well known for being one of Akiyama's attendants, and he joined his mentor Sternness. Hashi's only real brush with a major singles title in Noah came during a GHC Junior Heavyweight Challenge against Marafuji in 2002, when Marafuji's injured knee gave out and the referee had to call the match. So Hashi was champion for less than a day before the title was vacated. He later went on to hold the GHC Hardcore Openweight Championship for 245 days, that's from 2008 to 2009, but somewhat famously lost the belt to a returning Kenta Kobashi, which is a story. Akiyama was the referee. Hashi opted not to resign with Noah in 2010 and went freelance, but by 2012, he retired from pro wrestling entirely due to complications from several neck injuries. Today, he is a physical therapist and owns his own practice from my understanding. You can find his website via his Twitter, which he is very active on. Hashi was instrumental in the physical therapy that got Marafuji through 2018, his 20th anniversary year, and cornered him during Flight, which was his anniversary show. 
He has been back to corner Marafuji and Akiyama in Noah's return to the Budokan in February 2021 and to corner Akiyama in multiple DDT shows. You can also find Hashi on Akiyama's YouTube channel frequently. They're extremely charming and funny to watch together. They hang out constantly. And if you go on their um, Twitter pages, they take photos together constantly because they go out to dinner all the time. It's really great. This is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Sorry. I'm so oh. glad because I love I <laughs> love talking about Hashi. He's always a doll. Please They're still best the friends. Website. Go it's, on the website. The website has friends. amazing graphics. They're still friends. They hang out like every week. He still does Akiyama's I might need a minute. Like every week. Yeah. Go on the website. I've got to read Marafuji's bio. So Marafuji debuted for All Japan on August 28th, 1998, and he was a valet for Misawa. Coming over from Noah, he is affiliated with Misawa's Wave, but Marafuji gets to enjoy a costume change, and he no longer looks like an attendant and has his own color scheme. His first year of Noah is him finding his feet and very much on the come up, but his first title win comes in October of 2000, and it's the WEW Tag Team titles with Tomo Honda. 2001 is where Marafuji began to pick up steam and break out, defeating Tatsuhito Takaiwa of 0-1 for the GHC Junior Heavyweight Championship in December of that year. This was an extremely short-lived reign for Marafuji. I've alluded to this, you know, moments ago. And it's surprisingly his only reign as GHC Junior Heavyweight Champion. He had one successful defense against Juventud Guerrera before an accident during a tag match in March 2002. This is actually in KBS Hall. He ruptured his left CL completely. Marafuji tried to keep wrestling by taping a bar to his leg, as I remember, up through a GHC Junior Heavyweight title defense against Hashi in April, where his leg gave out entirely and the match had to be called in the title vacated. Somewhat famously, Marafuji was devastated waiting for the ambulance after the match, and Misawa told him he had to stop and take care of his knee, otherwise he would have kept trying to wrestle. And Vader comforted him until the ambulance arrived and took him away. Quite the scene. The injury required surgery and months of physical therapy to recover from, so he didn't return until January 2003. When he came back in 2003, he was extremely dominant, and they wasted no time in reestablishing Marafuji as a star. The twist is that Marafuji started to flip back and forth with contending at heavyweight seriously for the first time. His first GHC heavyweight tag challenge was with Morishima in March 2003. They lost to Akiyama and Saito of sternness, but he and Morishima tagged often in 2003 until we got into the Marokent era in July, which you heard me talk about before. When we see Marafuji at Destiny, he has lost the junior tag belts. He also won and lost the hardcore belt, and he had that from October 2004 to March 2005. He beat Akiyama for it, but he lost to Hardcore Yone. And that's a really important side plot, like I was saying before, in his quest to becoming a like heavyweight that people would actually accept. And he's been tagging with Minoru Suzuki since April 2005, which was also still in the Maruken tag era. So we have a very busy tag era for both Marafuji and Kenta. So again, he's straddling that line between junior and heavyweight. There are many more details, by the way, around all of this in Maruken part one. So go listen to that if you need more details. I also want to call attention to the amount of time between Marafuji losing the junior belts with Kenta and picking up the heavyweight belts with Suzuki. 13 days, and his first true heavyweight win. So we are looking at Marafuji coming into Destiny, needing to continue to prove himself to Noah fans that he's not just a junior and can be a believable heavyweight. And all of this is on the road to making Marafuji GHE heavyweight champion for the first time in September 2006. 
Today, Mara Fuji is a vice president of NOAA, appointed in the wake of Misawa's sudden passing in 2009. He is a four-time GHC heavyweight champion, an eight-time GHC heavyweight tag team champion, a GHC junior heavyweight champion, a two-time GHC junior heavyweight tag team champion, an IWGP junior heavyweight champion, and an AJPW world junior heavyweight champion. And that makes him one of two wrestlers to have won all three major junior titles. He's also a 2018 champion carnival winner. And he celebrates his 25th anniversary in wrestling this August with a Corkin show planned for September. Just an incredible wrestler. <laughs> just, just incredible. So going into this match, as Shupo writer Sugimoto mentions in the Destiny special, Mara Fuji and Suzuki were actually reluctant to accept these two as tag title challengers. The reason for this being that they felt Makoto Hashi was leagues behind everyone else in the match, including Akiyama. Sugimoto then describes the build to this match. Hashi was put under a lot of pressure to get through the tour. Even so, Akiyama had no intention of changing partners. Akiyama's words to him were, try to change the voices of the people around you before the show. In the opening match on July 2nd at Differ Ariaki, he was beaten up by Suzuki, Marufuji, and even Akiyama. And in Kyoto on July 10th, he received a head injury that required a total of 15 stitches on the inside and outside of his head. Nevertheless, Hashi did not miss any matches and made it to the Tokyo Dome. Miao also describes Hashi's story going into this match in Shoe Pro issue 1272. Hashi had been climbing to the ring day after day with the goal of getting to the dome, thinking only of how to push forward with the utmost of his energy. Hashi's thoughts were painfully clear to me, but in reality, he kept running on empty. So that sort of sets the scene. He makes it to the dome. He walks out on his own. And um, we have this incredible sort of scene, this very underdog story of Hashi, where no one really believed he was even going to make it to the dome because of these 15 stitches. And it was just about Hashi and his unwillingness to bend to his image as a guy who wouldn't amount to much. Um, if I could, I'll read one more thing from Sugimoto's article on Hashi's costume for this event. He had a new gown for his entrance and stood in the ring for the big show of a lifetime. On the back of the gown, the inu, or dog, kanji, of his moniker, Michino Sukuri, which means beast of the road, had been replaced by the character Dai, or fat, thick. This was his sign that said, I will not be a mere dog. I will live thickly. This was Hashi's mindset as he bet his life on this battle. Uh, Hashi was my favorite wrestler at this time. He's kind I, of mine now. <laughs> I just, I love, like, I yeah, I never really heard it put that way, that, like, he wanted to prove himself because he would never amount to anything. And, like, he's, like, the wrestler that, like, yeah, you, you see it. He works so hard, and, but, like, like actually does. Like, it just actually gets over the gimmick. He had an obsession with trying to, like, do a dive, diving headbutts to the floor. And it just did all, the, like, the worst, but, like, headbutts. Just, the, like, it. it's concerning almost to a point. It's not surprising he did have to retire early eventually. Uh, and then, of course, Akiyama at this time, his partner, who's, like, his, his big brother, 
who basically, yeah, it's this, this toxic relationship. I, reading the history of this, like, yeah, there, it, I guess that, yeah, Akiaba, that's why I talk about heartstrings that they're still buddies. Like, I get, like, it was almost like a, like a comedy pairing. Like, Akiyama just treated him like shit. <laughs> like, he was just like, but I, I love that he was like, you are the only person that can tag with me at this. Like, like that's incredible. Uh, like, this kind of, the fact that Hashi and Akiyama challenged for the tag titles at the Dome, like at this Dome show, just shows what, just another example why this show rules. Because that was like such a huge part of Noah, such a huge arc. Yeah, Hashi uh, just never the most, like not the most impressive wrestler, but he's been in some of the best matches I've ever seen just because he, yeah, he walks to the ring with the band-aid and looks kind of pathetic, but like works incredibly hard. And yeah, just gets all the feels going love, love this guy <laughs> um totally forgot suzuki and mara fuji for a team i'll be honest like completely blanked um but love hashi love that man and like this match hashi is so good i feel like maybe a secondary question after you pass the kanamaru question should be like how do you feel about hashi because some, th- sometimes he do you even know who hashi you. is because do retired. you know who hashi is that's right, right. he retired earlier on he's not like someone that you might be familiar with but he's around you know like if you if you watch certain um bigger events he is around he still comes out to corner june for things he cornered june during um june's more recent anniversary um celebrations um, and then he was at like some of the bigger things like flight and the return to the Budokan and has remained important to people in Noah and also in um, obviously following June wherever he goes and the YouTube show. Jason, I highly recommend because they're fantastic when they do the YouTube stuff. Yeah. Number one on my to do list is go catch up on this. Go follow Hashi and and everything. Mm-hmm. I did this one of those things, you know, like it's just the yeah, obviously they're people. They're going to just be around, but like that they're still hanging out. Like, yeah, they're like they have like cool jobs. Like, Hashi has his own practice, like, he's a PT a guy, yeah, that he does like, like June's PT, like, to this day. That he helped Marafuji during Marafuji's like, Marafuji had a brutal year, like, during his anniversary year, like, champion carnival winner anniversary year, um, brutal year for like his like wow. his arm injury that like has been with him for okay, a long yeah. time. And, so and like, Hashi got him through it, so like, he's still helping them. And like, um, but yeah, he's a great guy, and like, he's so important i think for like these types of stories in like the earlier part of noah never a guy that um i think was you know again like we've sort of alluded to it like he's not a main event guy he was never a guy that was going to have like you know big runs with like the singles titles or anything like that he just wasn't that kind of guy but he was someone who always tried so fucking hard and you could see it and that was what the crowd in this match and also beyond in other matches that's what people connected to and got behind was that he tried so hard and that fighting spirit aspect of it is actually very very important he embodied that so much and then you had like jason you were saying like that in the background like his very complicated relationship with um (laughs) june and i say complicated fondly because there is such love between them right but he like akiyama did use him as a bit as a punching bag like it's for a long like, time akiyama was basically like i know you can't succeed at this but you're here you're okay you're, you're capable enough so i'm gonna just show you how tough this is you're probably still not gonna succeed but i'll take you on this run with me and eventually you'll find out and it'll be okay but we got a good 10 15 years of amazing entertainment from right like akiyama would just uh, he'd encourage those headbutts um and that's the thing too it's like 
like yeah like he enters the bandage which like yeah this is 2005 when like you know it wasn't the biggest topic and you know concussions weren't the biggest topic in, in wrestling or any, anywhere and like yeah like like Hashi was the wrestler like you would worry about him <laughs> like legitimately worry like and that's what like I remember back that like yeah you worry for him uh so it's so it's so adorable that right and I'm just happy I'm happy that he and Akiyama are still buddies and like they're good I saw that he's right he has a physical therapy practice on of course he does because he was always hurt he always had bandages all over like if I could give like a comparison just to you know if you go watch this match but like it's like modern day like right now like like Yoshihashi kind of like they're they're, he's vibes but like yeah, awesome, like to watching this match, like, yeah, like just super, like you, you still want to root for them. You know they're, they're they're trying hard, and they they might take themselves a little too seriously, but but like it's okay because like they're they're amongst you know all these insane pro wrestlers. So yeah, I if you want to do the Akiyama Hashi podcast, I'm because <laughs> like th- this is that was another thing that like set Noah apart and just grabbed me was that they would take the time to do one. They would have these factions that really established. But like they take the time to tell these stories and like, like yeah. and actually like not just like tell but like deliver on them in matches and like like as soon as everyone comes out you know what's happening uh Pashi comes out alone with his bandages akiyama right. comes out didn't let him come out with it like you just it's established to your point the themes of this match are like incredibly telegraphed and if like you have the background too on like where marafuji is coming from like like yeah, suzuki is being used to help establish him as he's like you know going from leaving the maruken tag era into just like okay we're going to try to push marafuji now into the um the heavyweights right and and marafuji flits back and forth in like the heavyweights and the junior heavyweights for a while i i, I can't remember where the cutoff is for him it's like it's like 2010 maybe um that where he stops like playing around in the junior division and he goes up to heavyweight full-time I think might have that slightly wrong but um at this point like they're using Suzuki to like kind of establish Marafuji as like give him credibility at this point and he does quite a bit with Suzuki in this period they're a very interesting tag team I'm kind of wondering like why they were teaming you know like that's almost like it's just to give it's really to give Marafuji credibility it's an interesting kind of mix of styles with them, but it does work and they're yeah. interesting together. And I think in this, this match too is one where like, it gets better every single time I watch it. Like the way this is, um, the, the way this is paced match. is great. The yes. last like several minutes are phenomenal because Hashi like gets into like, again, that, he, like the fighting spirit ramps up and then like, he can't be stopped. And then Marafuji and, um, uh, Suzuki spend a lot of time trying to isolate him from yeah. Akiyama so that they can try to like wear him down and like they they like have a hell of a time trying to do also, that like, and like it's great it's a very dynamic uh, like tag team you have the Akiyama Hashi like undercurrents obviously like Akiyama having to eventually like save um, him all the time is, is amazing Suzuki and Nak- Marafuji as a tag team like my takeaway from that was like like yeah they're not um, I don't know jeez oh, not you know, aren't until like Blanchard. They're not like, you know, I like work at like cohesive, but at the same time, like everything they did was super interesting as they tried to, you know, wear down Hashi. And like they were very, like, yeah, I don't know, dynamic, like team. Um, so like the beatdown is filled with cool stuff. And then for the finish, you get the payoff to this, you know, amazing toxic relationship between these these two lifelong friends. And I, yeah, I, I love everything about the, I think like Akiyama and Hashi. 
match is very good too. Delivers on it. Akemashi is so good. It's almost like Marufuji and Suzuki are like a just just dressing for them. But that might be personal bias. Yeah. One thing actually that Alicia and I were sort of talking about was actually Marufuji and Hashi sort of as foils to each other um, in this match in a lot of ways where you have, um, as you've spoken to beautifully, Marufuji is um, sort of struggling to establish himself as a heavyweight and, and that sort of continues for a while. And then on the other side of things, you have Hashi when he puts that, and this was the, the heavy implication from um, Sugimoto, when he put that um kanji for die for fat he he's talking about himself i will live as a as a fat person i will live a certain way he's he's sort of owning to who he is and says i won't back back down i won't be a dog i'll be a beast um so you have these physical opposites and then you have sort of where they're standing, where Hashi might not amount to much, but Marufuji is in this tag team with Suzuki and he's on the come up. So having that whole stretch with those two just felt very significant to me. And I really enjoyed seeing that. I thought that's amazing takeaway. That, that's like, yeah, it's just so deep, like, right. Two guys trying to prove themselves in like different exactly. ways. Love it. Oh, and I thought about Lou during this too because of stuff we talked about specifically when we had him on to talk about Noah the Majestic a couple months ago now I guess but when like Marafuji and, and Akiyama are in and Akiyama starts like really throwing Marafuji around that is also like such a hallmark of this era which I really like but like Lou talked about also really enjoying that um when we were talking about uh I guess we were talking about Jake Lee versus Marafuji maybe all the way back then I think so yeah. So I, I remember though that Lou liked that as well, the Akiyama Marafuji stuff. So shout yeah. out to Lou. They, they were a fan of that. Man, I, <laughs> I, I agree. They they were they just worked very well together. I can't I'm they I'm sure they have had multiple singles matches. Um yeah. Marafuji okay. famously beats him for the heavyweight hey, championship, which is extremely Jeez. controversial. Jeez, thank you. <laughs> um but like yeah, here they were just like, it was almost like, yeah, they, they had great chemistry. Yes. Like they would just come in and just be like, all right, here's the wrestling. And now here, you know, here's the story. So Sugimoto describes the backstage comments in his piece. Suzuki, who rarely praises his opponents, said, it was interesting because the other side worked harder than I thought they would. The same goes for Hashi personally. It was interesting. Hashi cried in frustration in the ring. Backstage, Akiyama asked Hashi, did you give it your all? Hashi answered in tears, yes. Seeing Akiyama's momentary expression of satisfaction, Hashi cried again. Miao also recalls of the backstage comments. After the match, I asked Hashi if he finally made a start. He said, I don't know if I made it to the starting line or took a step forward from there. He said he would leave it up to the fans who were watching to decide. And, and, and if you take a look at how she walking down the ramp, you, like you're almost like smirking. It's like, how is this all coming from th this, like this guy? And like, actually, I'm glad you mentioned uh, my, my counterpart at Happy Wrestling, Len Lou, because he, um, another like take kind of he had on, on this, like the Akiyama, um, Hashi like just relationship is like that. There's a lot of like current all Japan, and I'm 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 gonna trust him on this one, but there's a lot of current all Japan in that. In that, there's this. It's like half comedy, but then 
it's but also it's just full heart like, like it's also the most like emotional like you know like story and and that's just this was yeah is one of the best and here they are just yeah teaming at the dome and then hanging out on on the social media 20 20 something years later it's amazing <laughs> akiyama messed hashi up i'll tell you that was some of the stuff he did was mean uh, a lot, lot of six man matches with, with those guys um a lot of fun so next up, we have our GHC heavyweight title match, which I'm sure we're about to get a lot of hot takes for. Uh, Takeshi Rikyo defeats Hiroshi Tanahashi in 17 minutes and 11 seconds. This is Rikyo's second defense for the title. So Takeshi Rikyo was a former sumo wrestler, turned professional wrestler who debuted for All Japan in May of 2000. It's worth looking up his history as a sumo wrestler. There was too many details for me to put into this bio, but his whole having to leave sumo and why that happened and that his friends had to actually throw him his retirement ceremony. Um, it's really interesting. So just go ahead and take a look at that. Once established in pro wrestling Noah, he joined Kobashi's reestablished burning. But when Kobashi went out for a while from injuries, Rikio began working with Misawa and Ogawa under wave instead. Rikio received opportunities quickly, and he and Takeshi Morishima formed Wild 2 and held the GHG Heavyweight Tag Championships in 2002 for 218 days. The first titles for both of them. Rikio is known for using the Musou, developed in 2004, which many of you listening will know is the finisher Yoshihiki Inamura uses today. Rikio actually gifted this to him. Rikio also has the distinction of being the wrestler to dethrone Kenta Kobashi and end his prolific 735-day reign with the GHC Heavyweight Championship in March 2005. So when we see Rikio at Destiny, he's only a few months into that quote-unquote controversial reign. Rikio went on to hold the GHC Heavyweight Tags with Akiyama and Yone and was also a member of the faction Disobey with the latter before he retired due to multiple serious neck injuries over time. Over the years, Rikio has come back to Noah for special events, but today he runs a successful ramen restaurant in Tenry City, Nara. On August 3rd of this year, Kenta went to visit Rikio at his ramen restaurant, and you can see the photos on Kenta's Twitter and Instagram pages. I did not do a bio for Tanahashi because he's not of Noah, but I trust those of you listening and Jason to know who he is. Uh, at this point, truly a young upstart from... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, swing Lows, was this that era? 2005 yeah so he was three years in his career at this point wow. he had his you under 30 i think open another another okay the, the another silly open weight championship that went, kind of went nowhere mm-hmm. um it did give us i think tanahashi versus brian danielson at some point but <laughs> yeah I, I did um yeah i think marafuji as well but sorry what, what was that i think marafuji as well with that silly yes belt. yeah that sounds right yep so i mean yeah Young guns here. Big hopes on these two. (laughs) (laughs) One one of them still wrestles. Um, One of them does, and one of them owns a successful ramen shop. So who is uh, who's really winning here? That's a great question. I, you know, if you watch some Tanahashi matches, we might. I yeah, he's hanging on. Ricky, I liked. It was just like, why isn't this more Ishima? <laughs> like that—that that was kind of the vibe at the time, and, and it was that he beat Kabashi. It was like this guy, Wild Two Rikio, actually amazing. Just the classic like guy with potential. If you break, it was like a—I don't know why this popped in my head, but like a Wardlow from like AEW, or like 
it's just like once okay this guy's gonna be quiet for a while and then he'll break out and just beast out but then classic noah big expectations that they, they had him and the kibashi right and everyone was like what like <laughs> why would you do this um that aside i i still like he i actually remember kind of liking this match more than i did on the rewatch it just i it was just fine <laughs> It was just a fine match between two guys who hadn't just put it together yet. Even Tanashi, like, it was good, but he hadn't figured his whole thing out. So, yeah, I'll do respect to Rikio, but they, they, yeah, they they gave him a tough, a tough job. And I don't think he did it very well anyway. So, I don't know. It's, yeah. (laughs) Very well said. I think, as you've alluded to, Jason, like, everyone, like, Noah, like we said before, it was very invested in the Takeshis, but you had a favorite Takeshi. And I think most people's favorite Takeshi was Morishima. He really had the, he had the raw skill and he was the most well-rounded of the two. I think Rikio, like they saw a lot in that he already had a name. He was coming into pro wrestling, having the sumo background and he had done well in sumo. It's, It's interesting to read about his sumo career, but I think that they... They just wanted that to work. They wanted to be able to use a guy who already had a name. But Rikio, like, was, he's another guy who, like, God love him. The sweetest man. Such a nice guy. But just didn't necessarily have, I think, always what it took to be the singles champion. He was not a charismatic man. Um, Morishima had, has to me, like, a very unusual chemistry. He's not a straightforward chemistry guy in the way that like we would consider like a kenta or like a marafuji or like whatever but like or sugira like sugira just like has like his his chemistry but so yeah i think of the two like morishima really like probably was if you were going to do something like that for the end of kobashi's prolific defining ghg reign maybe it was morishima but they go with rikio and this is like resoundly fucking hated by everyone like i'm not exaggerating like this was so hated and then you're already like it's kind of like noah is damned if they do damned if they don't but also like why didn't they just go with someone who could i think handle the type of reactions that were going to come out of this because unfortunately rikio wasn't that guy he tried really fucking hard he, he really like that's it i right i like the charisma thing it, yeah it's, there was like an element of when they gave it to him and he was like good wrestler, good matches, like good singles matches too. But right, he need like to go against the questions. He needed an extra pop. I, I feel like his approach was kind of like, I'm a tough guy. Um, there's another guy in this company that um, got, became very successful with his being stoic and not really emoting. And it felt like uh, Masawa. So it felt like a little bit like he was like, okay, I'll just be the serious, you know, and the uh, credibility. And it, like, Masawa was- had an aura. And you can't, it's hard to, it is hard to, it is hard to teach that. It is really hard to get people to replicate that. It was, Rikio was not going to be the guy that gave you that aura that Misawa could give you, you know, like he was not going to be that guy. And it's a shame because again, like he was such a, a, a nice guy. He was a great tag guy. Like a a nice guy shouldn't be like why we keep you on the roster necessarily, but like (laughs) he really was like he was such a he's into this day he's a sweet man he's very very close to Kenta 
I, I appreciate that in him. Like he's a good guy. And like, he was a great tag guy. I think that like he did like his better work in tags. Like some of the disobey stuff with him before he has to retire is actually pretty entertaining, but what they gave to him, like the curse of having him beat Kobashi was a shame. And like, it's not, he just wasn't the guy to do it, but like, it's, a, and it's also like maddening because you have so many other guys who should have been the guy to beat Kobashi. Like you could have had a Marafuji be in there. You could have had a Kenta and they, and they didn't go that way because that would have been un- unfairly and, and sadly just as controversial as having Rikio do that. And I don't think Morishima was ready. And honestly, there's some really interesting quotes from Kenta That's about Morishima right. in Kenta's book that came out last year called Footprints. And he's not being unkind about Morishima. He just thinks that Morishima was never actually that prepared to do what the company needed him to do. I'm sure they really had, which we see in retrospect. I'm sure they had, and that's another thing. I mean, it goes without mentioning. I'm sure they had some valid concerns maybe back then. But right, so at the time, right, it was just like, why is this happening? <laughs> it's just like, what? Like, this is a very good like third match of the card. Actually, that I think that's just what the weird like. It's some fine wrestling here. It's just. After all the epicness we just saw, like it's hard to follow, like yes. what what Kenta and Kanemaru <laughs> yeah. did, and then the excitement of the fucking tag match, which was amazing right. with right. this, which really I think brings the crowd down. The one thing I'll say about this match is that <laughs> Tanahashi is amazing, and that he marches out there with his New Japan flag, and he knows he's going to get booed. Right. But the difference between him and the way Rikyo reacts to some of his like. Eh, crowd reaction Tanahashi sits there and he imbues the booze he owns the booze he doesn't care right like he cares but he doesn't care and that's like what Tanahashi is so good at and I honestly wish that like we still had crowds that reacted to wrestlers this way what I would do to have like a Kojima or a Nagata booed like that in an all Japan what I would fucking do just hatred the the liger Kanemaru stuff just amazing Like going into um, like when Tanahashi goes to fight Suwama at Champion Carnival, the, like the fucking hatred for Tanahashi. Yeah, yeah, oh, what I would hey, do for that in 2023, yeah, but no one will do that anymore. Right, we're gonna work together. Um, <laughs> I like what was the like, and what's another thing that kind of threw me off about this match too, just as I'm I'm critiquing these two for no reason. Like Tanahashi right comes out and gets booed, and this just shows kind of the the disconnect with Rikio. Like, what does he have to offer? He's a big bulky guy. Okay. So he's going to beat people up in his matches. He's going to control them. He's going to kind of work as the traditional heel. And, and so you have like Tanahashi kind of like fighting from underneath for 10 minutes. And it it was just, it just felt off. Like it's still, it's still pretty good. And you can still tell like, okay, these aren't like, you know, you know, these guys don't suck. Like they, they, they belong in the, in the, you know, they belong here. The ending, the ending kind of rocks. Cause the thing about Rikio, it, it, yes, and I don't want to bury him. The thing about Rikio, like Rikio deserved to be in Noah. Like I don't, want people to walk away thinking that like you shouldn't watch the match and that Rikyo didn't deserve it. Right, I know, sorry. Of... <laughs> it is, no, no, right. no, and I'm not criticizing you, Jason, at all. I'm be critical, like, be critical of the match. <laughs> what I want to say is that the thing that, to me, is, like, the better part of the match is, like, when you get into the finish and he ramps up into doing um the Musou because he has flashes of brilliance. That's he like really slapping the shit out of Tanahashi. He slaps the shit out of Tanahashi. <laughs> and it go, and oh. it's, it's that. It's, like, those, those flashes yeah. of brilliance. Like, he could get into that type of stuff and then his Musou is, like, is beautiful like it's that stuff like that those power moves and like that that aggression that would come from him but you just wouldn't get that from bell to bell right you'd get that in flashes that was rikio very different experience with morishima especially as morishima got a little older a little more experienced and we sent him in ring of honor and shit but 
Rikio is different. However, this is one of these matches where, like, I think that people have it in their heads that because they hear, like, on Twitter or on message boards or whatever that Rikio sucked, the blanket Rikio sucked, that they don't have to watch these parts of Noah. Please do yourself a favor. Don't do that. Watch these matches. Don't just say, or don't just, like, hear Rikio sucked and then skip this shit because you're going to miss um, Wild 2. You're going to miss gonna that. Say, wild 2 rules. And and there's the thing about, like, Rikio was, like, this just, yeah, this this blank slate of a champion amidst just all this other amazingly compelling stuff going on. So it was, like, it's fine. It, it just, well, not, you know, it wasn't ideal, but it was just, like, fine. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Why did he beat Kabashi? <laughs> <laughs> years years later there's years still later. there's so much we can we can say about that they well, they really well, saddled well. him with an impossible task yeah, but... did. yeah one thing i love though was that you mentioned those flashes of brilliance um and that's yeah. really his his style and where he was and as a sumo wrestler and then sort of um that that style and um that was mentioned in the translations i did for this episode actually kobashi in shupro 1259 is asked what he thought of the way the crowd turned on rikio and he states you have to accept the fact that you were booed you have to overcome the booing by yourself he is determined to turn those boos into cheers i won't say you have to be this way to Ricky is what he calls him, but rather you have to open yourself up. Think of it as creating your own style and relax. And sort of that sentiment of finding and embracing your own style is echoed in the match write-up by Osano in the Destiny special, where he says, Riccio should be able to embrace his own style. If he is recognized as such, he will become a true champion. So I think that's that's really saying what you're getting at, Alicia, is that it's there in, in those little bits and pieces, in that style, in those slaps. Those were really, really cool, but it can't be on all the time. And I, I think that was just really beautifully said. Gotta wake the wake the beast. It's very cool when you wake the beast, but that sleepy beast might shouldn't be the world champion at the Tokyo Dome with all these matches. It's just yeah, poor, but yes, like seriously, this, this is still like on any other match. It's sad. I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, he goes on like he calls him Ricky the whole time. It's it's very cute. This is like a, a fine like you know this year's G one climax match. You know it would just be right <laughs> like it would just be right with them. And that's like, I don't know, a compliment slash burial of many things, but like, it, it just, yeah, on this show, it just kind of stood out like, I don't know, it's a little off, but it's still, it's good. It's just, yeah. It's fine. Them. Just don't write off Rikio as someone who quote unquote sucked, like get into wild too. I always reference the disobey stuff, but that's also because like, I like will never shut the fuck up about like disobey into no mercy. I find that really important because that goes into like my other favorite period of wrestling in Noah. So like, just, just watch that stuff. Cause like he, he really was like a solid Noah hand and like Rikio was not helped either by like a dying industry and everyone's anxieties about Noah losing money left and right. And right. trying to make like, a new star. Geez. Like he got hurt by this or Shima got hurt. Kenta, Marafuji, Sugira. None of these guys like were, were, were done well by a lot of the decision-making around this, this period. So you, you can't fault these guys and you should try to watch them in different periods of their careers. 
So the only backstage that was written was uh, Tanahashi's, but I found it really funny. He heightened his own drama backstage by saying after the match, I can't do it anymore. I can't say I'm looking forward to the future lightly. I can't face going back to New Japan. And I just thought it was 20 really years, this drama queen. Ah, love it. It was just very- He never very- changes, but like, <laughs> he's just a delight, isn't he? <laughs> Love that man. Oh, man. Well, he did go back. He did go back, didn't he? Yep. <laughs> sure so did. I've heard. So yep. I've heard. Love Tanahashi, but yeah, he's, yeah. He's sure. a mess. He's been anyway. a mess. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so for these last three matches, we don't have bios because these wrestlers speak for themselves. And to start us off, the first match is Genichiro Tenru defeats Yoshinari Ogawa in 10 minutes and 27 seconds. This match is on paper a master apprentice duel. After all, Yoshinari Ogawa came into the world of wrestling originally as Tenru's attendant after making his debut for AJPW on September 3rd, 1985. He was even a member of the Tenru Alliance in 1987. However, as concisely written by Osano in Shupro's Destiny Special, this match took place 21 years after the two of them first met and 15 years since the two men parted ways. When you think about it, he writes, the time since they parted is more than twice as long as the time Ogawa spent as Tenru's attendant. Going into this match, Osano notes that Tenru rejected the idea of this being a master apprentice style match, stating over and over, I don't remember having such a rude attendant. Ogawa also addressed any comments on this being about their old bond by stating before the match, if you're talking about an attendant, let's make it Tenru's retirement match. He's done enough already, so I'll put you to rest in your re- in return. It's my last role as an attendant, isn't it? He also stated, I will thoroughly oppose Tenru. So yeah, that brings us sort of into this not master apprentice match, which I just found really interesting. And um, after we had watched it this past weekend, Alicia really summed it up beautifully and stated that Tenru wanted to face Ogawa as the man he had become. And um, that just sort of stuck with me and something I really, really loved about this match. So I'm curious about your thoughts on it. Can you guys set a timer for me? Because I have so much to say about Yoshinari Ogawa uh, and the time period and the, 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 the vibes uh, of the time about Ogawa. Basically, let me just start by saying I did not know until I read these notes for the show that ten that the history between Tenor and Ogawa. So when I watch, really? I know, I know. Yeah. Even when I watched it, I because I always associate well, a couple things. I always associated Ogawa with Masawa, of course, just because like that was you know he's his buddy. Mm-hmm. And when I got into Japanese wrestling, this is like 2003, 2004. Everybody hated Ogawa because yep. he ended Akiyama's reign. He, like he was just this guy they were pushing, and like I like. Um, the people would like, like they call him Rat Boy, and and like it's almost like I, I'm trying to get a read of all these no wrestlers. Like, is this guy the heel? But he's teaming with Masawa, with like, like he's I, in I wave and shit. They've been teaming since like all Japan, <laughs> right? Just all all kinds of like just stuff going on, and then like 
there's uh, just I, I can go into what lore of like uh, the old uh, Strong Style Spirit New Japan website and, and their owner um, who was outed uh, a couple years ago as a serial harasser. Um, but he was the guy who got a lot of people in New Japan. Uh, and he was so against Noah, but also so, like, so when Ogawa became the champion, he pounced on that as like the, the, narr- the reason to go against Noah. And so like Ogawa's always just been this like fascinating, like just thing so this show, I'm not even, this morning I was reflecting on this match with Luke and I went, I still don't get like on this entire show, why? And, oh, and, and I'm sorry. The other thing about Agawa, I love him. I think he's great. He has had some of the best, like he's technical matches, him like versus like, uh, geez, maybe Zack Sabre Jr. Like, like anytime he gets in and just starts working, like he's one of the greatest, like really, he's just looks funny and shouldn't have beat Nakayama. So I'm talking with Lou about this and I'm like, why did they have this match? Was the idea that Misawa was over pushing Ogawa and wanted him in this like huge spot? Because that was kind of always the, the you know, the they internet. were buddies. They right, were buddies. The right, exactly. It's like, ah, oh, he's he's getting over pushed again. So was it that? Is he punching above his weight, facing also 10 real, a singles match with them? So is that what's going on? Or I'm like, did the fans of Noah just want to see Ogawa get his ass kicked by 10 real? Because that that's fun. I guess that's fun. But I was like, oh, like that doesn't track. Then I read he was his attendant, and, and I was embarrassed. But I was also like, okay, th- everything makes sense now. Um, that yeah, that that tracks. Uh, it's this match is ten minutes of fun. Um, it now that I've it makes sense. It it does belong here. And Ogawa continues to be just yeah, and he still wrestles. He's still still at it. Like one of the more fascinating underrated but over pushed wrestlers i don't know how to describe them of the last like just yeah ever just yeah all kinds of stuff when it when you said this is a teacher apprentice match on paper it's like no it wasn't it not not that they were but i was like that was the read of this on paper back then i just read it as you know the scrawny shit against you know cool tenru now it makes more sense but yeah clearly just love ogawa love tenru the match was fun um and yeah, I'll stop talking now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love your perspective on it. I love that you learned something about um, yeah. this match. Because it, it really, it, if you don't know some of the background of this one, it might not make as much sense. But like this one is like, these are the, the, the final three matches are where we really start like, you know, reaching back into the lore, mm-hmm. right? And we start to also satisfy a couple things about, you know, Misawa leading an exodus out of all Japan through some of these matches as well. Because Tenru you know, yes. has his history with all of this as well. Tenru comes back to save all Japan after the roster split. And you oh can actually goodness. go, and I don't know if you've read this, Jason, but for those of you listening, um, if you haven't picked up Gambaru by Dr. Jonathan Foy, please do that because um, Dr. Jonathan talks about a few things about this time period and Ogawa and Tenru and just like all the stuff. Um, Tenru is working um, in Noah as well. Like he's taking some dates here and there. But what's funny is that there's, like, all of this tension still because of, like, things with, like, Misawa and things with, like, um, Atoko Baba. And so, like, there's a time where, like, Ogawa has to go pick up um, Tenru in a car. Like, they won't, like, Misawa won't even pay to go, like, take a car to Tenru to pick him up. Ogawa has to take a car to go get 
Tenru, his former mentor, um, because of this like tension, insane tension um, between the two camps, right? So there's all of that history there from just like the roster split um, still happening in the background. So you have like some of that stuff that's like, you know, happening as this match is taking place too. So you get a lot of that through this. And that's why I highly recommend just picking up Gambaru by Dr. Jonathan Foy. You can read about some of those little stories happening um, in the aftermath of the roster split. But yeah, I, I, I like this so much. I think that I like this one so much because of the story. It's actually not necessarily my favorite in terms of like, the match in and of itself i think that there's some parts of it that are like um it's not the cleanest match that's what i'll say of it, it, you know the bottom have, three um ogawa taking tenure down with a wrist lock which is which is just an, a, a cool thing that happened in life um but yes i agree like <laughs> the uh the, the move that ends it too like for yeah it is pretty weak there's just yeah, yeah. yeah there's just some like a few like things stylistically about it that like didn't work for me not the cleanest maybe coming out of ogawa's side of things i think like jason uh especially on the heavyweights heavyweight side of things over pushed i think he excelled in tags i think he excelled in like yeah, the junior things the thing, right. he excelled in in things that were more um like technical and, and map based not necessarily in, in what you're gonna get out of tenru especially like at tenru's big age right, right? right, in, in, right. in 2005 Ten- tenru's big tenru's age in 2005 the- main events thought right ogawa was having good matches like doug williams like that's right where right 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 Ex- exactly I, I, i'm having fun so, memories now of those that like yeah like that's so right but it's all about the story in this so it's like you don't even oh. necessarily need it to be like technically proficient like you just need the story exactly. to land yeah. and you get that here because i love like henry offering his hand and ogawa being like no dad not shaking your hand not doing it after he just came Amazing. out to the ring like to his like his fucking music and his choker and his leather and I, right, to watch him looks, do this like i just like it's such beautiful a douche, he looks cool. like it, he looks so like the coolest of, guy ever and it's like why does misawa love him so much it's so weird right it's so weird and so funny and like I, it's so funny that like you talked about like how much people hated him and noah then because of like him ending akiyama is another like controversial thing that like fucked Akiyama up honestly yeah but it, it like up. it's so funny <laughs> it but like he looks like such an asshole but like he's so goddamn cool right and, like right. he's Tenru's shitty but, son yeah yeah and, and how are you cool but like why why and why do I think right like, like why yeah. do we think you're so cool and yet you're so cool and like I love that part of it and then like Tenru like oh, the wow. best part to me is like Tenru going out of his way at the end like Tenru beats him and like you know, you can make the assumption Tenru's going to beat him, like, right away, right? But Tenru yeah. beats him, but he goes out of his way, because the whole thing is about, like, Tenru wanting to meet the man Ogawa is today, like, where he is, right? And it's not just the wrestler. Like, he is, like, you know, he's he's won a singles belt, whatever, like, you know, Tenru respects that, but it's also, like, like, Ogawa's important to Noah, like, like, Ogawa's training everyone back there, so Ogawa right. has, like, this importance, so he wants to meet Ogawa, the man where he is now, he like goes out of his way to like go pick Ogawa up and bring him back up the ramp and bring him to the backstage and then make him talk to the press, which is so fucking awesome. It is so like Japanese pro wrestling. It kills I was, me. I love it. I, this is the only like in my head right now. I'm like this. This is quintessential just Japanese wrestling. Like the what the reason like a lot of us love it is just like stuff like this. Like they'll just I don't know commit to things and like people will like follow them and like. I don't know, like stuff doesn't have to be bashed over your head, but like, it's just like this, this is nothing complicated. He was his mentor 20 years ago and now he has not. And just like, yeah, the, the, the space to, 
this show being like this historical show, right, that Noah would like put this third from top is and kind of to, like, yeah, the crowd pop. Yeah, just them like, like being yeah together at the end. And it's just like that this hit is one of those crazy things about Japanese wrestling. Like, it, it, yeah, that this wasn't resoundingly like rejected. <laughs> it's actually amazing. The crowd loved it because they <laughs> got the payoff of that moment of like Tenru right. grabbing Ogawa and like putting his arm around his shoulder and like walking up the ramp with him. That right. was a special, special moment for people and like said a lot too about where we were with All Japan and Noah post roster split like these things these moments symbolized something about the era to the fans who also Mm -hmm. at that point too remember perhaps some of them might remember when ogawa was tenru's attendant but also remember those years of like them in king's road and like where where tenru was leaving all japan like people people remember these things so that moment of them like having each other's like arms around each other whatever walking up the like the ramp these symbolize something else to the fans watching and that's why you get that big reaction and that's the payoff it doesn't matter that it's not that clean you get the emotional reaction from the crowd and that is the payoff misawa said i'm putting this third from top and you can't stop me Misawa said, I'm going to put my friend over anywhere I want in my promotion. You did it. And I didn't even want any of you to come with me. And it's going to and, and it's going to work. And it's going to work. It's it going to work. Right? I that's, didn't I ask that's as many it's of you that came with me to come with me. I had no money. So now I get to do whatever I want. That's what yeah. Misawa said. Hey, God bless him. And sometimes he was right because this match was it was fun. It was it was a good match. Exactly. And- it, it told a story, which was something Misawa was always like low key, obviously in the ring. The, the best but like just getting stories across he was an entertainment guy for, for being such an amazing wrestler and that's amazing and after the match tenru stated do you remember when ogawa was nothing more than a dry cleaner i had to contend with the higher up so it's only natural for the lower ranked guys to do the same i fought with respect for ogawa who also won the belt in noah so i think that sums it up pretty pretty well as like maligned as that title reign was um it is actually like Im- impressive that like or cool i guess cool that tenru still is just you know at least shows respect to that title and it's just you know that's his final comment like hey youngster you know i know no one cared when you did it but like good job you know reaching reaching the the top mm-hmm. i agree absolutely yeah i think that's that's a really good sentiment there and a good one to end on so we've now reached our final two matches, our big marquee matches. And that starts us off with Kenta Kobashi defeating Kensuke Sasaki in 23 minutes and 38 seconds. So on April 24th at Noah's Nippon Budokan show, an announcement was made after the first match. The venue went dark and the words July 18th, Tokyo Dome Unlimited Time Battle appeared on the electric signboard set up on the east and west sides of the building. What followed was, Kenta Kobashi is the biggest star in the world. Who in the world could match Kobashi? A few moments later, the first word that popped up was Kensuke Sasaki. And the pop is just massive. Uh, Alicia, I believe you said Eddie Edwards was there in the building and describes sort of that reaction. Yeah, Eddie was around during this time. He was actually doing the whole like Noah young boy thing, which is a really interesting and very unique 
experience that Eddie got to have. Um, he also has a horrific hairstyle that you can spot during Destiny, actually. You can you get a full shot of him during one of the matches. I forget which one it is. But Eddie talks about this fan reaction moment to Kenta Kobashi and Kensuke Sasaki being announced to this live crowd. Like he describes like just how loud it was and like how it has stayed with him from that moment like the experience of just hearing a a match like that get announced and I always think about that quote because you can go and find this show and listen to the announcements and like hear people and the the pop for Sasaki and Kensuke is impressive but I don't think that we can even appreciate it just from listening to the video I think that like when you read Eddie's comment back about like what it was like to be there and hear the crowd in the Budokan it's it's something else I think you probably had to be there to really fully experience it And this, of course, was a massive dream match for two men with similar styles and personalities meeting in the ring for the very first time. After the announcement, a fax from Kensuke and Hokuto was posted in the media room in the Budokan and sent to multiple companies. And this fax actually appears in the um, video before the match and Destiny, like they show a picture of it. The details of this fax was detailed In Weekly Gong 1017 from May 11th, 2005, it states, This is the best match for me right now and the most exciting opponent for me. I don't think any unnecessary words are needed for this fight. On July 18th, I would like to face Kobashi as I am, straight and true. I will give any comments I have after the match. This was coupled with a note from his manager, Akira Hokuto, stating that Kensuke would refrain from commenting on the fight out of respect for the feelings of his opponent. Thus, a campaign of silence began from Kensuke Sasaki, outright refusing to talk about this match. This led to a really amusing photo session in which a reporter for Weekly Gong was invited to the Kensuke home gym called the Tiger's Den to take pictures. The reporter received comments from Hokuto on the match. And and this article is just really funny because the photographer is like describing Kensuke, like practicing lariats and staring off into the distance. Like, oh, he's clearly thinking about Kobashi. It's it's just really good. Hokuto, after this uh, practice session, actually does have some interesting things to say. And one uh, quote I really liked was, You can imagine what the match will be like as much as you want. The fans, the media, and I want to pull the ribbon of the dream present together at the Dome. It would be nice to have a match like this where we can find out together what's inside for the first time. Another reporter tried to the approach of interviewing Kensuke about his lariat in Shoe Pro issue 1259 on May 18th, 2005, in hopes of getting him to talk about Kobashi through the lariat. It it didn't work. Um, He did not. But I'll mention some of those um, quotes and notes from that interview while talking about the match, because it did have some interesting things about the lariat. Kobashi. Uh, However, was a lot more forthcoming about this match. He also had an interview in Shoe Pro issue um, 1259, where he stated that his main impression of Kensuke was, I sense a strong heart and the passion to push forward. Like everyone else, he had no idea what to expect of this match. And there was no outpost battle beforehand for the two men to get a feel for each other. On Kensuke's silence, Kobashi stated, it shows a strong wheel. 
I can feel how much he is committed to this fight. I can feel it from the other side. And that while he has had no contact with Sasaki, he states, I feel the strength of Kensuke Sasaki's heart. So that brings us to this incredible first time meeting. This match is widely regarded as one of the greatest matches of all time, with some iconic moments that have come to influence modern Puro as we know it today. So have at it. Tell me what you think about Kensuke Sasaki versus Kenta Kobashi. What an epic build up. Uh, like it, it could sound a little self-serious and 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 if done by the wrong wrestlers, a little stupid. But, like, these are legends who have been through so many, like, just actual wars that people have watched who have who can actually put weight behind all that epic stuff that you just said. And they went out and did it. And they had all I remember is the chops, the chop battle, the famous chop battle. Uh, I, there were quite a few more awesome moves in this match. Um, and 218 chops. Thank you. I literally wrote down how many chops. <laughs> like, they actually wrote it in one of the shoe pros, it, but I was like, oh, I know the answer to that one. Like this is, this match is like Japanese wrestling. I don't know what else it let, like it's, and it's crazy because I don't know, like Kobashi and Sasaki, like well-regarded Kobashi, I would say are more than Sasaki, but like just well-respected, like, like for what, what they, you know, as wrestlers, but like, what was it like like the just the chop battle like represents so much like again it could sound stupid it, it my, my family's listening to it right now and it probably sounds crazy but like it that chop battle like those two everything they said in the comments they're not going to give up they're, they're not going because like they have like something to prove and they actually can keep up um this is like a battle of philosophies Sasaki from New Japan has that the New Japan heavyweight style, which is more based around the lariat, the the, the Ricky Troshu famous lariat. There's a lot of lariats here. Kabashi Kabashi uses his own lariat, um, but so like you you sense like a, a battle of styles, a battle of two guys who want to be the alpha male. Um, I'll, I'll stop there as, as like the first things I have to say about the match. But yeah, I mean it's amazing, and there's you know two, two, they chop each other two hundred plus times in a row really freaking hard and the crowd goes insane it's the coolest thing ever <laughs> that's my it thought. is <laughs> it is the coolest thing ever i don't think i said this off the top but destiny is um a card i watch at least once a year i tend to watch this either on or around my birthday which means that a lot of my civilian friends who don't watch wrestling normally have watched this card even though i tell people all the time like you don't you do not have to watch this <laughs> this card with me at all people have stuck around to watch the card with me because they're kind i love specifically showing people sasaki versus kobashi with very little context i won't set it up for them be like we're just gonna watch the match and we're just gonna see how everybody feels about it at the end because like if it, it feels like um if they can't really tell like what's happening in the beginning with like, both of them, because like Kobashi like points at Sasaki across the ring. And like, I feel like that's a moment where you could, you could oh my laugh. God. 
it's because the coolest it is thing ever. Funny, but it's so fucking cool. It's so cool. Um, it's so. Cool. Kabaji so just cool. has a credibility, right? He's such. It's like like he's just the like God. I don't know. Well, he's a douche, but like Clint Eastwood. Like I don't know. Like just an action hero, you know? Like just yeah, like, he has that like very like ridiculous. movie star, like very credible type of figure. Absolutely, yeah. but like I, I, I love I, when I'm, civilians just... see it because they don't know how to take it. But then once you get into the chop battle, oh I've never God. had groups of people stay more riveted more horrified more transfixed have more questions for me after any match than when that rolls credits because of of how intense it is and how long the chop battle goes and whatever what have you so yeah that's just my thing i love i love showing civilians uh saki versus kobashi it's great but this match though this match is outstanding the walkouts to this match are just immense like even if you back it up and just go back to like the walkouts and like you get like them coming down like the ramp and like the themes and like it's just it's just outstanding and you do get to like because you see like this match echoes now through noah over the generations right like you have katsuhiko at ringside in sasaki's corner he's the only person in sasaki's corner shio is um one of the people in in, um, kobashi's corner along with um honda so that's you know he's got a whole little group over there it's like the uncles and shio basically is are the people in uh kobashi's corner but like these little things like it's just so interesting when you when you think back to this period like now of like where everybody is um it's just immense but the chop battle is incredible. And Jason really hits on something that's important about this match. To me, this match, once you watch it a few times and then you start to understand who they are, Sasaki and Kobashi, and you keep coming back to it over the years, this match is really not about a winner or a loser necessarily. This really is a match about philosophies, the battle of philosophies, battle of styles. And it's it, it really quickly beca- doesn't become about who's going to win or who's going to lose so much as these two bearing their souls at each other because these two can speak to each other on a level that is very different than I think other people that they are going to face. There is something about each other where they just connect on that soul level, which is something that Kensuke Sasaki um, has talked about he talks about connecting on that soul level and him and Kobashi just get that and you feel that from this match and I think when you feel that from a match like this it just doesn't matter who wins or who loses in that sense right it's about them bearing their souls to each other and speaking to each other in only a way that they can for as long as this match is going to go on and that's why it's such a brilliant co-main on this card it, it's just about the spirit of of pro wrestling in that way and 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 the fighting spirit like those are the things that this match at least encompasses you know what it encompasses to me and like they you know in a lot of the stuff that rachel translated they talk about like dreams right this is a dream match and they talk about this theme a lot but to me it's like this match is about the shared dreams of these two wrestlers but also they're like reflecting the dreams i think of the fans in the audience right we, we keep talking about what a spooky time it was in the industry for pro wrestling and people i think are a little uncertain of what pro wrestling is going to look like moving forward um from this point and i think that when you boil it down this match is just about that that love and that spirit of pro wrestling and that's like that's what it is it's that, like reflecting those dreams of like not only each other but also the fans of, of what pro wrestling is in that moment but also could be in the future like untied from the fear of what is happening in the industry and like how things are changing in Japan. Right. So that's what the the match represents to me more than anything else. 
And I think that's that's perfectly said. I loved um, that you were talking about how it wasn't about a winner or a loser, and it was about being a pro wrestling match. That's something um, the um, shoe pro writer Kohada mentions in his write up. He um, basically states that any like people who were concerned or, or focused on MMA and its current rise in Japan, that's sort of where we're at that time. Um, their fears would be blown away watching this match because MMA is all about winners and losers. Um, whereas this is, you know, something else. It's about attacking, I believe the quote he uses is um, attacking each other with their well-developed bodies um, and and showing off their will. <laughs> but um, hey, I just translated. I think I didn't get to, that's like oh the one God. I might not have read. So that's oh really God. funny. <laughs> So ridiculous. Yeah, that's a that's a really good write up. Uh, you mentioned MMA, and, and so Rachel, and you you mentioned Alicia, show like things you show people to non fans, and for a little a few years before the show, one of the things high school Jason did strangely was I would show people the Don Fry Takayama fight, that's which a was the ultimate like what the f- <laughs> this is amazing, this is insane, everything. And that's something where well, Takayama got destroyed and lost, but became a world famous person who did mm-hmm. commentary on the match before this and was about to come in and beat everybody and and all that stuff. But like, yeah, I I don't know. What my broader point is here, but like that, like it, it. This was like okay, yeah, MMA is real, but like pro wrestling can be real too if you just commit to it. And th- I mean, just yeah, all the stuff you guys are saying about like the crowd living through like the just like living through the match like yeah wrestling at the end of the day like you're living cathartically through these like superheroes not all of them are you know i'm not living through kishin kawabata no disrespect but like these two i am and like they are they're able they're they're just able to pull it off and yeah like this i i I would imagine you know that's i would imagine there was some kind of response the chop battle was something that came from the zeitgeist feeling fry takiyama a little bit too because like just it was just a battle of wills like that just it was epic and that's why it's so cool because they weren't stopping you know that's how they made it real they literally just didn't stop there have been millions of chop battles but this one just didn't stop no good point like when, when you contextualize <laughs> that moment in the history stop. of 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 the industry and where they were like it had to have been influenced by like the rise of MMA and what was going on in New Japan and like yeah, I'm kind of grasping a few things. Shit. There is, there but I think I think you of... can. I think you can make the connection. And it's like it's one of those things where MMA sometimes does the human connection thing better than like pro wrestling does sometimes. Um, and it's <laughs> pro wrestling sometimes tries too hard, but then also does things that like don't like that just are weird. But like. <laughs> MMA like how I would sell people especially like other women on watching MMA was to literally just like tell them like I'm not telling you stats I'm telling you the stories of the fighters they're very real like lives and how they got to where they are right now walking into this this pay-per-view fight that's coming up and why you should come to the bar with me and watch the fight with me that's how I would sell other people on like coming to watch UFC cards with me at like horrific times you know those things don't start until like you know 10 o'clock at night and then you're there until right. like three in the morning watching right. and waiting for the main event to start that's how I would tell people that was talking about human stories and like that's the thing about Sasaki and and Kensuke when I think you get right down to it like this is like a very human story and like I think that comes across really well in so many of the translations that Rachel did around 
the match. It's like this this very human thing between these two guys, like this very soul bearing thing, and this very very much this this connection to the fans who are so invested in this with them and who are there with them through every second of this match. It's this very connective thing. I don't know it's, if that makes sense, but the like they're just throwing. I mean, beyond the chops, like there's just a, there's an incredible match just around it too. That's just like yeah, to just it is you know one of the greatest matches ever. I, I, I might be biased towards Kenta Kanemaru, like after seeing the show so recently. But I mean, yeah, this is, but I think bo- both these could freak, you know, civilians out. But like, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is the match. Um, and another human story that's a part of this one is like the the ending image. Sasaki walks away. Katsuhiko is with him. He's taking him past commentary. You see like Takayama for a second in his beautiful Hawaiian printed shirt. He always had great shirts. And then he takes him down like the ramp and the camera staying on them. They find Hokuto who is there. And she had like, they've been, you know, cutting to her and very nervously watching the match the whole time. But she's there. And like Katsu basically like shows sasaki to like you know to her basically and he hugs like both of them in like such a like beautiful very like cathartic way and they share this amazing hug right there in the aisle the fans are fucking losing it amazing and then they walk to the back together after he raises their arms with him and they walk to the back hensuke office that's another little bit of kind of layer that was going on here where like kensuke had left new japan was freelancer opened an office um adopted a son um, but he like before this, he didn't have a great reputation. Like he was a big star in Japan, but like he was pretty known as like Ricky Choshu's, you know, over Ogawa <laughs> to an extent. Yeah. And like, you know, a stiff, like he wasn't regarded as like yeah, in some circles, like good, but like not a great wrestler. And this kind of like this match, the Kensuke office stuff, like he him becoming more of a human and not just right, this angry, overpushed, you know, dude. Pocato um, coming in really like right. revamped his whole career. Like her coming in as like his manager and her kind of like Kensuke is the guy where, and this is really illustrated super well on like Justin Nipper and Fumi Saito's podcast about him. Write that down um, for Fight Game Media. But he wasn't really a guy where like if you were to like be like, all right, Kensuke, go out by yourself and then like go talk about yourself and go sell yourself to people. That's not really his bit. He's not that guy. He really wants to get into a ring and be the guy, you know, and he can do that. But like in terms of like selling a full package and like having a plan, Akira Hokuto had the plan and she could sell a package. She She could sell you anything. You brought him out of the shell. She was the brains. Um, (laughs) She's still the brains today. She runs the whole operation over there. So like that- They, them together is how you create like the human story around like right, Sasaki right. and Kensuke office and what have you. It's really Akira Hokuto. You need her or else it doesn't it, happen it, for him. Geez, oh my God. I could, okay. I, I could take a hundred threads here. Amazing. Yeah. Um. One, you mentioned like kind of where this took, like the future of wrestling or like eras. And so one thing that like, um, and the thing Lou and I were talking about, and it's very, it's a little interesting to me at least, like, lose kind of take on this match versus what my uh, we both get kind of a take about like errors on this match so his is that this is really influencing the modern noah today where like you have nakajima just you know kicking back and forth like this is what it is now it's a battle of wills um keno shiozaki they're 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 kicking back and forth um and yeah they're strike exchanges sorry lou if i'm, I'm butchering your point 
beyond that, my, kind of my takeaway was almost like, I, again, another match where I was a little worried because these are like o- older guys. Um, I feel like the match like influences matches now to where, yes, they're striking back and forth, but there was also a lot of like, Big spots, like they were doing dives occasionally. Yeah, that was Kobashi did too much at what? his advanced a, a stage down. of things. Like, and, and what? Kind of what I wrote down was like, uh, try to, like it was like a preview of what might have happened to them if they had like maybe come around like five, ten years later. And I'm almost glad that didn't happen because I think, I mean, they're they're relatively healthier for it, but like they could have gone for I, like they would have been doing Canadian destroyers and like, if they had got like even maybe not, not Kobashi. I, I wouldn't put a put Kensuke, put a put cask, uh, put it past Kensuke. But um, the, I guess that it was just like wrestling has become more like, you know, moves that are kind of a little pointless, but impressive and cool. And, and right. This match is half like just this battle chops. The other, the throwing of the bombs was awesome. Everyone had a point because they were each like, you know, that the spirit of New Japan or Noah was in each one of them. But like, yeah, it was also like, okay, I'm glad we got to see them, you know, do their crazy stiff battles. But like with the way wrestling is gone, these two guys would have killed like themselves just (laughs) continuing to go like that far. Um, So, yeah, just so much going on here. (laughs) So much. And I want to say, too, like one of the points that you made, like it's it's one of those things where I feel like the chop battle gets um imitated a lot across like different matches and not even just in Noah but like I feel like this gets imitated a lot in other places but it doesn't have nearly um as much meaning if it's not imitated by the right people which is where it becomes really important to watch how it's used when you have like Hatsuhiko in the ring Keno Shiyazaki those type of guys it's really important to see how Katsuhiko and Shio have used it with each other as like those two guys who like those are their mentors Mm -hmm. like it's very interesting to watch how that's evolved through them and through the people that they choose to do a lot of their storytelling with that I will say I think when it's imitated through other people elsewhere it's it's it really pales in comparison it's a lot of cheap imitations if you will and these are just like what was the quote about the bodies but yeah these are these these are (laughs) These are the the guy the best trappers like the hard the worst most violent trappers like so like that's yeah they use them. <laughs> they they talk quite a bit about their techniques um, leading up to this match as well. And um, to your point, you were talking about like the lariats and just this match as being a soul bearing match. There was a lot of that in that interview where Kensuke does not talk about Kobashi at all but he he talks about his lariat and um it's just really really interesting to sort of contextualize it within that sort of thing and then also contextualize where we're sort of at with modern Noah with that lariat as well and um I wanted to pull some quotes from Kensuke's article in Shoe Pro 1259 titled appropriately my lariat is my heart And he states uh, why he uses the lariat is because I think it's because I can express myself. I always raise my voice when I practice. Similarly, I've always liked matches where I just explode. The only technique that allows me to really express my emotions is the lariat. Yeah. And he ends. Hokuto wrote that. 
or, 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 or <laughs> yeah I really she really was yeah, the but... queen, like Alicia said um he ends this interview by stating it's not like I'm the best fighter to use it or anything but I strongly believe that the feeling I put into this lariat is second to none it's one of the basic techniques but it's not something that can be easily broken down or by itself replicated because the true technique is my emotions and so that's another just a really good way to contextualize this match because um, I should really hope that anybody listening goes and watches it. I hope you watch the whole show, obviously. But um, when you're watching this match, it's just really important to get that significance of the Kensuke Sasaki lariat and what it means like that um, double short range lariat at the end that lends them both on the floor. Like, what does that mean? And, and how does that feel? And that's them, like Alicia said, just sharing their heart, their philosophies, their dreams, and the dreams of what pro wrestling is and what pro wrestling could be. And I think that's just a really incredible thing that this match really embodies. These are the guys capable of it. They did it. So I have some other quotes from Kohada's write-up from the special edition of Shipro on Destiny. Um, one was, it was a fight that could be described simply as a battle of wills, chop for chop. Kobashi and Kensuke exchanged a total of 218 chops. This was not the ultimate form of professional wrestling, but rather a return to the basics, reminding us of something important that we have tended to forget. And goes on to state, even though no unnecessary words were needed, every time a chop was fired, it was as if a physical conversation was being conducted through their bodies. How's that? And I'm not done yet. It's as if they use a common language. And that's pro wrestling. So I thought that was just really beautiful. Um, yeah. The final quote was, the dome was filled with the power of wrestling and Kensuke versus Kobashi reminded us how interesting and wonderful it can be with this fight symbolized by the raging chop battle. We should be proud of ourselves. Amazing. I am. I'm proud of this match. I wasn't around to watch this match in 2005, but. <laughs> incredible then, incredible now. I have nothing to add because that was so amazing, right? Like that's just, yeah, it, this match actually like did that. So yeah, that's why it, it did that. <laughs> It, was, it, it pulled it off. So the backstages for these were actually quite long. Um, in the next match, they were too. But I um, pulled some important quotes that I would like to share with you guys. Um, after the match, Kensuke, of course, broke his silence. In the ring, he took the mic and thanked Kobashi. And then he said to the fans, this is the greatest feeling in the world. Thank you very much. And then, of course, you have that beautiful moment where he hugs his family. And it's just an incredible, incredible moment. Um, backstage. He states, I think we were both stubborn as children. I'm going to beat him. I have to beat him. I know we are the same age, but he was more of a naughty boy than I had imagined. I did my best. On his future plans in Noah, uh, Kensuke states, if it's a fresh fight like this, if I can have a match like this, I'd like to come back to Noah. And the packed crowd at the Dome today I don't know if there were fans from various companies, but I felt that everyone really liked pro wrestling. They accepted me, who is not from Noah, with all their heart. And I thought that spoke to a lot um, of the crowd and then just sort of Noah in general, um, welcoming in a lot of outsiders. Yeah, that's where, like, I mean, Kemske office, like, for free, I mean, everything is like, you know, freelance now. But like, that was like a 
really new concept and just like him yeah him takiyama suzuki kind of just like rogan all over com- like companies and just doing their own thing like yeah that kind of broke open wrestling in a, a mostly good way <laughs> and they don't really get to noah like where they start to work with noah full-time until like 2008 and then that like gives way to one of my favorite rivalries which is nakajima versus kenta like you still have all of that to come which is phenomenal like there's so much like great history between those guys and you're like not even really that close to it like there's still like time i was was wondering about the timeline because yeah i'm trying to remember like right when they like kind of really became more integrated into noah and yeah i feel like this was like yeah like dipping the toe kind of yeah pretty good match Um, it was all right yeah yeah. it was okay so Kobashi backstage opens with Kensuke Sasaki was just as I expected. It was really good to face him in the ring for the first time. It was one-on-one. He's a really great guy. I really don't have any more. I couldn't back down. Sasaki wasn't backing down either. This match was truly thrilling. One thing worth noting uh, that we didn't quite mention was that Kobashi returns to his old theme, Grand Sword, in this match. On this, Kabashi states, back to the beginning, I lost the title, so starting from today's match, I chose Grand Sword as a way from starting from the beginning. So that brings us to our main event. Mitsuharu Misawa defeats Toshiaki Kawada at 27 minutes and four seconds, right at the show's runtime. So also on April 24th at Noah's Nippon Budokan, Toshiaki Kawada appeared in a Noah ring for the first time to the sounds of excited chants from the fans. He took to the microphone and said, nice to meet all of you Noah fans. I'm Toshiaki Kawada. Please allow me some time here. Misawa-san, if you are here, please come out. Misawa, of course, responded to the call, resulting in the following confrontation, which was transcribed in Weekly Gong 1017. Kawada states, I believe I'm a professional wrestler who can satisfy wrestling fans with the matches they want. Misawa-san, I have nothing to say to you. However, I will leave July 18th open. Misawa responds concisely with, I'll be waiting for you at the Dome. The match itself wasn't set until some time later, so there was some speculation from fans on whether it would be a singles or a tag match. However, with the title of the event being Destiny, it seemed clear that a singles match was the most logical option. Going into this match, both men were interviewed to speak about it. Kawada in particular was interviewed twice, and both interviews were stunning and honest and just really heartfelt. Um, Kawada, for that Weekly Gong article, states, From the outside, I always see the presidential Mitsuharu Misawa. And I think it's hard on him. Today, when he came to the ring, I saw Mitsuhara Misawa, the person, which just speaks towards the love that these two have for each other. And I just thought it was just an incredible, powerful moment and how much he really, really cares for Misawa. Um, When asked if he had wanted a Misawa match since going freelance, he states, As I said in a previous interview, when you are affiliated with All Japan, you cannot compete anywhere else. In the end, promoters would not let me go anywhere. But even though I was ostensibly an All Japan wrestler, I have not signed a contract in seven years. That is why I was allowed to become an unaffiliated wrestler. 
But when that happened, I did not have Misawa-san in mind. But then Noah announced Tokyo Dome and the subtitle was Destiny. So I wondered if he wanted me there. The idea of Destiny comes up a lot for both of them, um, given their background, having come through the same high school wrestling team together, and they stayed in the dorms for that wrestling team, and then they came up through the All Japan Dojo. So these guys have known each other for 30 years up to this point. In these interviews, it becomes clear that the Destiny title of the show really is tied to them, even though Misawa sort of cooked up the title because Tokyo Dome just kind of called him on a whim one day. But it really became to mean so much more, and it could really only ever be them. So the interviewer asks or states, when Misawa-san was asked for a comment that day, he said, I wonder if Kawada and I are connected by a strong faith. Do you sense such a connection? Kawada responds, well, yes, I think it must be destiny, as the title of the dome suggests that we have been in the same business and in the same world for such a long time. And if you include our high school days, it has been even longer. The interviewer responds, do you believe in fate? Kawada says, not really. I don't believe in fortune telling or fatalism, but I don't have any other words to describe it. Um, Kawada also talks at length about their bond, their time in high school together, their time in Super Generation Army together, stating that Misawa has always listened to his ideas and shared his own. However, one thing I want to note is that because of their long history, Kawada does not view them as strictly rivals and was unsure that this match would really solidify a title to what they are to each other. Kawada states, I've never had a rival. I couldn't find the right word. Like I said earlier about my high school days, I was there when we were working together and when we were fighting. So I wasn't conscious of things like rivalries. That's probably why. The interviewer states, so you might be able to finally find what that is in your next fight, meaning this destiny match. It is a confirmation of what Mitsuhara Misawa means to you. Kawada responds, I don't think I will be able to answer that question this time. Just like in professional wrestling, no matter how much you accumulate in your career, you will never know. And I think Mitsuhara Misawa will never know what it is, no matter how many times he does it either. So it's just a very interesting thing to, to hear him speak on. You know, we we think of these as as rivalries, but right. Kawada has a different view on it. It's amazing to hear the actual people in it talking about, like, what, right, in the moment, like, whether you think of it as a rivalry or just like, like the, yeah, this is like, the greatest story in wrestling like ever um i i'm probably forgetting something but maybe not um well besides the bloodline of course that's the greatest <laughs> oh yeah the bloodline um, being the greatest but besides story ever told. Be, be, besides that but no th this just for like just we're here in 2005 they made it too and it, it, yeah it's um yeah so much going on here again <laughs> misawa on this match for Shoe Pro 1259, similarly talks a lot about their high school days, including stories of how Misawa would sneak out of the dojo to see his girlfriend um, and talked about how Kawada was a good junior by comparison because Kawada didn't have a girlfriend. Um, but one thing <laughs> I love was how Misawa talks about the difference between his matches with Kawada and Kobashi. And the interviewer actually sort of opens this up with your matches with Kobashi have often been selected as the best bout but is there a definite difference with Kawada's matches, which often turn out to be great matches as well? 
Misawa responds with, I don't know, I'm not very expressive, but Kobashi's emotions are very easy to understand, which Alicia mentioned. Um, but Kawada, like me, doesn't show his emotions on his face. That is the difference between Kobashi and Kawada, which I thought was just really cool. It's really something interesting to think about when watching this match as well. One quote I really loved was, well, just because it's intense does not necessarily mean it's a good match. In the case of wrestling, there is no clear standard of what is a good match and what is a bad match. That's what makes it interesting. So was this a good match or a bad match? <laughs> well, I sure would like to argue at that point. There is one way of wrestling a match to have a perfect match, one standard, and there is to be no variety. Um, was this a, um, no, that's actually an amazing thing that they're, cause right, this is, um, but they know what they're doing. They had an amazing match. They had a very good match. Um, I, I, I love this match, uh, just as a, as a standalone match, as a main event, as a, as their last match. Um, I, I, when I was thinking of rewatching the show, I was like, I remember like, I, I remembered Hashi. I remembered the chops. Uh, I, but like the main event, I was like, I can't rem like, I remember thinking, okay, it's good, but that's because you think Masawa and Kawada are good. You just know they're good. So I was really interested to see what they would do with it. And yeah, a great match that they're, they're older. It's, you know, not, I mean, they had some of the greatest matches ever in the nineties. Um, I don't know if it reached there, but maybe like emotionally as you're, you know, to explain their history and just like average, just all this stuff, like, it's up there. I don't know. It, it it definitely like tugs on like, yeah, the the soul a little bit. Um, and just yet yeah, like everything they do is just covered and just like the subtext of just like the greatest, yeah. I, I I can't call it a rivalry, the greatest, the greatest story or the greatest like exchange where um yeah, that this but it's it's a very good match. And it it, it uh it's the only thing that could have followed Kabashi and Sasaki, arguably. Um, I mean, these guys said, yeah, these guys are great together. They're they're pretty good. So yeah. they're okay. There's so much happening here, and <laughs> yeah. this is another one that represents so much because, again, like if you contextualize it against the time period, this is the first time these two are in a ring since the roster split. Kawada was the one who stayed, or depending on how you look at it, he's the one that got left behind because Misawa did not ask him to come to Noah. Um, and it's interesting because I think a lot has been said about Kawada and Misawa's relationship. They had, and I think Fumi Saito honestly has probably the more poignant thing to say about this. And I'm going to plug Dr. Jonathan's book, Gombaru, if he wants some really good pull quotes about them and their relationship and what this looked like for them. They were brothers. And sometimes brothers fight exactly like brothers. And these two had some very public dust-ups. And they fucked each other up even when they weren't in, in rings. Um, because that's what brothers do, don't they? So they had a very interesting, complex, complicated relationship that you then have to add the layer of Senpai Kohai to, right? That complicates things even further. Yeah, it's there's a lot here and it, and it represented, I think, so much to fans who were, were seeing this as like, you know, Kawada wasn't signed to All Japan anymore. He was just doing the freelance thing, but it was still uh, 
the first time that these two were in the ring after several years, you still had that response, right, to the things that had happened with the roster split, the things that people remember from a couple of years ago. And people people needed that, I think. People needed to to see this. They have an interesting way of of getting to the point where, like, you know, Misawa and Kawada have such a fascinating way of talking about each other. Um, but there's still an emotional resonance in this, um, to be sure. This is one of those matches where, and Jason kind of got to alluding to this, but, like, it's a it's a great match, but I think people will tell you that it's not a very good match because it's them when they're older and yeah. it's not quote unquote as good as the matches that they had when they were in their quote unquote prime in the nineties during King's Road. I think if you go into that into this match with that in your brain, it's gonna impact the way you view this match. If you if you just go into it taking that aside and you view this um having you know having read some of the stuff that rachel's translator or what have you just just purely watching it for what it is i think you'll you'll find it be very hard to be disappointed because it's a very good match like the way that they've set it up is is very good it's very straightforward it's very them in a lot of cases it's so right yeah it's so them it's, it's so, so them, them. It's and like, I, like one of the funnier parts yeah. though is they are running out of fucking time and like misawa was flipping out about them running out of time that which leads into finish, doesn't it, even it explains it the finish even, even though it works. works it explains him storming away um from kawada when kawada's not done speaking yet because he was pissed um even though kawada at that point can't control anything but what's funny is the rushed entrances that's really funny in in the watch so oh god those theme songs for like a whole spart i mean spartan x i'll still put them out all the time and just like the just, it's great yeah. but like misawa i've never seen him move as fast as he did using oh, his shoulders awesome. to propel him down the ramp right, in the tokyo a, dome oh, because they're running out of that's time amazing. watch that's it back amazing. again it's so fucking funny but like he's flipping out because they don't have enough time but that but definitely so- contributes to the ending and it contributes to him you know walking away and like that's why this one also has like that note of like of just sadness in a lot of ways because they you know misawa is being misawa about it in the back but kawada is being a lot more open-ended about it we'll talk about that in a second i guess but this is the last time they see each other in a ring we don't get you know an additional match or any sort of payoff and misawa passes away in 2009 losing misawa like changes kawada he stops wrestling after 2010 he does like a quick run basically through noah and then he's done opens a ramen restaurant like like he loses his love for wrestling with misawa passing away it completely destroys him so like you you can't not think about that stuff when you're watching this match because and there's a lot of like quotes that rachel's going to talk about too coming up that like where they talk about like the sentence of like we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and like destiny kind of does leave you there like the whole show and being like we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow but like that is the sense i think that this match inevitably kind of like leads you to and like i literally said i wrote down regret like there's a feel of just like or like a look on their faces of just like did we just waste the last few years because now the business is about to tank and we're not gonna be able to like you know this is all gonna fall apart like yeah, we could have. And they been. haven't been as close, like for one reason or another, perhaps. Like that's it's you know that stuff is kind of murky. But then you know, Fumi Saito has talked about like the brothers stuff, like you know whatever. But it's like that's that's kind of like the sadness and like the tragedy of it all, like kind of like the bad feelings of like the roster split and like Kawada being the one that was left and he Misawa did not ask him to come with him and like that type of stuff. Like it's it. There's a lot of sadness in that. There's like those. I'm left with a lot of like the 
the what ifs like sometimes the what ifs are just like really rough in pro wrestling unlike anything that I've ever been involved in right or any any other medium that I really enjoyed or like these these things where you can just be like what what would have happened like if Misawa like hadn't passed away and like maybe like we could have seen other things happen there would have been more and and, like I don't know there's just there's a there's definitely a sadness to this one not helped by Misawa being so pissed about the time amazing they pulled off such a good match like yeah like this is just like it's like like almost like playing the hits but not at all like because it's still like so just that playing the hits insults it because it's still so like competitive and tight like Mm -hmm. they're still having like they're still competing they're they're still yeah masawa and kawada they don't feel like the older versions of themselves like it doesn't feel like that like like when misawa throws an elbow it's still breathtaking because of the power he can get behind it even though he is older and at a different stage in his career, like, but it's, but it's not, it's, it, but you can tell that it's not the same as when he was younger and doing it. Like there's a, there's a difference to it, but it's in that like way where as a veteran, he should feel different to you. And that's well, what makes me I think, right. fucking pissed about how people talk about Kenta. He should feel different to you. Right, He's like right. 41 or 42 years He's old. He's using what he knows. He's using what he knows. And like, you should can. be, you should be studying how he's, he's able to figure out how to turn it off and on to preserve what he has. But then in those moments where it's on, that's what you should be commending him for. And that's how it was. It, it feels here for me with Misawa and, and Kawada. Like they hit the tiger driver 91 on the outside. And like, that's you know that's a hit we know what that looks like but like on the outside like that shit looked amazing in this like so i don't i feel like people don't necessarily contextualize like these moments in these matches the way that i i think they should necessarily in uh in this way like it's a fair like there's sadness here but also then you can also say but you know be glad it happened like that they this was a very pretty amazing like maybe you know lucky that we didn't get to see old you know misawa and kawada take a take a saudi payday or something and, and go go work or something like <laughs> like like we did see like this is they're still like vaguely in their prime and not really but like yeah they, they never didn't have a prime because they're just well, is not far removed from it like right. Kawada's is not far right. removed it's from his like huge Noah. like triple crown reign like misawa has slowed down quite a bit but he's not far removed from like, you know, like his first reign with the GHC, first maybe yeah. two reigns. Right. right? So yep. they're still capable. They still got it. Like, yeah, it, it's just a great match. <laughs> yep. Like just, yeah, just from two of the best. It is. It's, it is a great match. And I really liked how um, Yamamoto in his uh, write up for the destiny special, he, this write up is absolutely incredible, but yes. uh, he sort of talks about the, um, he gives his read on this match and it's just really interesting to hear about the context, like the shoot context of this match and the way it ended the way it did and, and how it, it plays out. And then reading sort of Yamamoto's like kayfabe read on it and um, talks about how he, t- he talks mostly about how Kawada dominates basically the first 20 minutes of this match. Uh, whenever Kawada landed three or four moves, Misawa would counterattack once. The ratio was three to one or four to one. Misawa would fall to the mat each time he ate one of Kawada's attacks. Misawa's body was continually motionless. After 20 minutes, Misawa began to really fire back with determination and the results 
were astonishing. So um, Yamamoto's read here was that both of them were sort of going back in time and Kawada sort of got there first. So it was really interesting in what Jason was talking about, how they sort of felt like this match was very much a time machine. And it really was where Kawada was going back and, and reliving that junior, senior, I cannot lose to this guy. And then after that 20 minutes, it the like kind of clicks onto Misawa and he feels it too. And he's also back in time. And he also sort of responds to that, which I really, really loved. And um, Yamamoto then sort of describes this match as a curtain call match for the Shinteno or four pillars um, era as Western fans call it of pro wrestling and talks about how Misawa and Kawada, they don't have that same not rivalry, that same tension anymore they filtered that yeah. out and they they get there through the match but for the most part at the beginning of this match they had filtered it out and um he states the awkwardness and tension of the old misawa kawada match was gone everyone had been liberated from the shinteno era they were free in other words that era would never return which was just really powerful to me and then viewing this match as a curtain call as putting um the shinteno era to rest is just a really incredible way to look at this and look at destiny as a whole as this yeah. past present future sort of view it, it's that this review well, like the best review i maybe ever read of like a match and like but it's it's true also um and then like I'm almost thinking like right the the way yeah you put it it it's lacking in like tension and emotional conflict that's so well put maybe that it's not that they're older um maybe that's why this match just felt good because right they were it didn't have that like right that heat the, the anger of maybe the 90s so but like it it was almost more beautiful because of that because then they were just doing that they were exchanging their moves and like the other other classics they were they're hitting them all they're hurting each other but like out of love <laughs> instead of like trying to you know win a title or something um and that's how they you know right this match did not happen again and you know and yeah incredible review but it's, it's, <laughs> sorry it's a, it's a beautiful no no it's a beautiful beautiful review and i think like a lot of these destiny reviews that rachel thankfully translated for us are yeah, stunning they're, they're really some of the best stuff i've ever ever read but i think there's a truth to this and then I, I want to bring it back and then maybe question it almost in a way, because I think that in a lot of ways, yes, like this does absolutely like serve as something that's, that does liberate particularly, I think like, like the, the, the Misawa Kawada crowd from the Shitenu era. Right. I think that that's probably very true in a lot of ways, but then I think about like the younger folks on this card and the people we've talked about extensively during this review, right. When I think about, the Takeshis, I think about Kenta, Marafuji, Sugira, like the people that like are about to really go through it in terms of of trying to make their names, of trying to be stars. And that was Noah's problem, right? Is that they could not make a star properly. Were they liberated from the King's Road era? Because that was the issue forever. Like it took ages for these guys to really get to a good place. And for some of them, they just never got to that place, right? Like we lost the Takeshis. Sugira was was right guy, right time if the industry wasn't crumbling. It took Marafuji a long time to get to a better place. Kent didn't become GHG heavyweight champion until 2013. 
I, that's that's where I'm pulling it back to is that well I think that like there's a truth to it and I think that this did serve as like the ending of an era in a large way I think for fans especially perhaps maybe in their minds I think like on an emotional level that's probably true I think that for these younger wrestlers who are hampered by this perception that like they weren't good enough to surpass past um misawa kobashi Tawe, like th- these types of seniors um i don't know that they were liberated from that era i think that they were held back by it agreed like yeah it's it's like there's uh, I, I go back and forth like i i was so committed to back then you know this happening real time that like you know you need to use i don't know i still think this <laughs> like you need to use like the legacy of, of I don't know if they needed to be liberated from it. Maybe like, like I, I, I almost <clears throat> like, I might disagree with that, but like, I'm clearly having a, having a turtle conflict because they in wrestling, you know, you use uh, like, I don't know, you use history to m- make something else happen or, or, or build on something and, and learn something. And so I, I don't know if they were to be liberated from it. They had to like, something had to happen, I guess, to, to really make that change. I don't know. No, nobody really yeah, beat anybody until like it, they weren't like by being liberated from it. Everyone just kind of, was like, all right, I'll just stop watching it. <laughs> but like, and that's where it just, it, it's this show is like, this show shows what Noah could be, but, um, but it was built on the back of like what Noah you know was, what King's road was. And then what came after is like, still like living for like, a part of it but clearly a show headlined by Masawa Kawada Kobashi Sasaki like there's always going to be troubles pushing the, these new guys and yeah that was the sorry about the, the rambly point but like that kind of was just the that was the story with it Let them always let, like they had these great things and they yeah they no Noah Masawa they're stubborn like with, with good reason and like it was actually like the fact that they moved on or were willing to move on is actually like amazing, but they didn't, they, they were stubborn in a way where they were like, okay, we're going to do this thing. And you might not like it, but we're still going to do it because we know how to, you know, we know wrestling. I'm the best wrestler ever. So like, they're just, they do it. And Hey, 20, 20 something years later, like it's still great wrestling. So I don't Yeah. I might've been right. Like they, they eventually were, were liberated. I just think that like this point, there was more to get out of this and they, the, the younger generation, like, wasn't, I don't necessarily helped by like the chaos of the approach. Um, kind of just no one ever, yeah. Got out. Well, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> um, but like also it shows just all the great things about Noah too, but like, just, yeah, I had a good thing going. <laughs> <laughs> So Yamamoto also writes, I always think that we wrestling fans are in part living in the past, which is something Alicia and I put a lot of thought into, but I think that also plays into what you were saying. It's um, going right. Like, right. Yeah, we're going to make fun of me now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like true. <laughs> I think it's true in a lot of ways, um, but I was curious for your thoughts and, and sort of how the show, and I think, I think you've really summed it up pretty well, but um, yeah, that's, that's something that, um, has really resonated. Wrestling, yes, re- wrestling fans do them in the past. Well, one because cool when you're a kid, and it's a little cooler when you're a kid. But like, also like, yes, we live just yeah. We're always living 
it like, oh, referencing different things. Oh, this is cool. And when I'm saying work, you know, I'm talking about me, you know, <laughs> but like just generally that just, you know, all the, you know, the cool stuff from my childhood. I just want to see that thing happen. It's hard to buy into new things that are happening before you. And th- that's where uh, Noah, they struggled with just like, I don't know, they'd commit to things, but like they commit to the weird things. They, they wouldn't like, they would give Kenta the tenure struggle, but then they would be like, all right, Riccio, we're just going to give you the title right now. And we're just going to deal with that. And that hurt, I guess. I might ask you to edit this part because I know I might ask you because I might be losing my train of thought. (laughs) No, it's it's all good. It's all good. So no, no, no. I think that like this quote's interesting because I keep sitting with it. And I think that like- I know, this quote is blowing my mind. (laughs) Yeah, for me, like I was not like, I watched like WWE a bit when I was younger. Like when I started watching WWE, I was like in middle school, but I wasn't watching it very seriously. So for me, I don't have like the emotional connection to wrestling as a kid. I only have the emotional connection to wrestling as a fucking adult, which is unbelievable, but um, really says a lot about me. But like, for me, I think about this quote in terms of like, yes, like as a wrestling fan, I am always living in the past because I can, I have to be able to contextualize what I'm seeing in any promotion I watch to what has happened in the history of that promotion, um, which is why I can get sometimes a little bit encyclopedic about like the history of right, but it, because it, it helps to contextualize subtext, like this stuff, like it, it, it awesome. does help. Like you understand things that like are happening today. Like these things still feed into each other. The other thing though, that I think you almost touched on Jason is that like wrestling fans today and this like this could happen to any of us could happen to us on the call could happen to anybody is like wrestling fans can be very forest through the trees type of people like you can't like it's very hard for people to like just kind of appreciate that like what you're you know being shown like right now like there's going to be a point like several several years from now and like wrestling's a journey like it's not like not everything is going to feel good right now but like it's going to feel good in a couple of years that's that's like, I think something that people don't always appreciate because they don't take the time to contextualize what they're seeing against the history of the promotions that they're seeing. And Noah's not an old company. Noah's only what we're in our 23rd year 23rd as a company, yep. uh, 23 yes, years on the fifth. Uh, yep. So we're in our 23rd year as a company. So like, we're not an old company. So Noah to me is one of the easiest ones to frankly contextualize a lot of what you're seeing, frankly. So I think that's just where the, that quote takes me, if that makes sense. That might be rambly too. We've been recording for a while. No, no, for sure. Like, and it's the the next sentence actually that gets me to where it says wrestling fans living the past. Masawa and Kawada were not overtly concerned about a situation Mm -hmm. (laughs) because like, that's what it would like. We we're we're always asking for whatever the best wrestling that we you know can, can want. We think, but like the best wrestlers can just kind of you know do do their thing and, and just be really good at it. Um, and I don't know, like I'm fine with getting to the present, the future, but I've also seen a lot of wrestling companies try a ton of horrible new things too. So that that like so so like I don't know. I, I guess yeah, I'm almost like looking at this wrestling fans. I live in the past is like an insult. It's not really, you know, it's that we're referencing the past, but like also wrestling companies need to provide a pathway for the, you know, the layperson, let alone the wrestling fans to follow, to actually get invested in and, um, you know, buy into and follow, you know, Morishima, Sagira, everyone up to Shiozaki up to the top. What Noah Destiny was, it was an amazing show that did showcase its spotlight to some of the young generation, but like it also was a show that just said, 
yeah, they weren't overly concerned about the situation, but it was living in the past a little bit. Like beyond maybe Kenta's win, like this was just like, here is some of the most epic stuff that works because of the subtext of the past. Um, and it, you know, that just why it continues to be such a great show is because, yeah, it, I'm kind of convincing myself, yeah, it was like this end of an era. I just don't know if like, like Noah had a full, fully well-baked plan to push it into a, a, a new era and they found it eventually but yeah it was a struggle to get there a dream of a show though <laughs> when it did happen it was it was and that brings us to the post-match comments which alicia had alluded to as being a little sad um in a lot of ways so for misawa um after the match kawada had stated that he was no longer able to put an end to this. And this comes up in both of their post-match interviews. The interviewer mentioned it to Misawa and Misawa says, continuation, well, I don't really feel that I want to do it again. After all, I think he also faced it with the feeling that there would be a next time. So I think that feeling came out as tenacity. Well, it's hard to say if there will be a next time. He does state on the finish. Well, I was not so particular about it, but I thought it was pointless to do any more unnecessary work. In the end, I felt that I should beat him with elbows alone, head on. So I think that sort of is a bit of a recovery for it. Yeah, yeah. A little damage. Time. You know, you know <laughs> no, I don't have anything pointed to say. It's just, I, I don't, you know, he is a, Misawa a is fascinating. He is a wrestler. And I think that, we would love and appreciate Misawa more if we humanized him more, if we didn't treat him as a deity, because yeah, he right. is a fascinating man. He is also an incredibly stubborn man. And you can feel that in this backstage and in how he handled listening to Kawada speak to him. And Kawada was being extremely heartfelt and emotional for Kawada um, in the ring when Misawa stormed, stormed off on him. That's all I'll say. He's just, he's just, I love Misawa. Fascinating man, a stubborn man. Look, and he's look, terrible look, at remembering dates. Oh, he's terrible that's, at remembering dates. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's really I funny. Reading these interviews, he didn't know when the flag raising was for Noah. Um, they asked him, and he sort of was like, it was a day in August in 2000. Aww. And referee <laughs> Fukuda was standing right next to him, and he was like, really, boss? It, it, uh, yeah. so he's a, just a very human, human man. Uh, he's a very uh, human man. His explanation for the finish will work better if the same move wasn't done for an air fall like two before. It just threw me off from saying perfection for so long. But also, there, yeah, he can he can defend his matches. He, he's earned it. Yeah. So Kawada backstage, um, the interviewer also asks, "What did you mean when you said that you can no longer put an end to this?" Kawada responds, "Well, I came here with the intention of winning, and I lost. I want to win." He ends the interview by stating, the two of us won't live forever. If we meet again, I would like to fight even harder and win in the end. And that was that was like the last line I um, translated when I was translating all of the beautiful articles that Alicia sent me. And that just gutted me <laughs> because like you said, we don't get that continuation. We don't get that final match that Kawada just really so wanted. And it, it's heartbreaking but to what you said jason this match happened and we can rejoice in that and i think that's a beautiful thing yeah so to wrap it up and bring it all home 
what would you say the legacy, I know we've talked quite a bit about this, of this event would be? One of the greatest shows ever. And um, just, yeah, the, I, I would just like peak, or if not peak Noah, the, one of the greatest like capsules of just what like Noah was is, um, and what like just all Japan, just all of it, you know, eventually developed into. But yeah, that's my short thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think I uh, I largely agree. I mean, like this show is extremely special to me. There's a reason why I always yeah. watch it in or around my birthday because it's so good from like top to bottom. It's it's a sure. show I, I come back to because it has such watchability. It is quintessential Noah yeah. watching. It feels like the Noah that I love. It's not the Noah that I like first started watching either. Like I started watching current day Noah. This is like the Noah that is very like special to me and like very important to me because it's like the Noah that I spent a lot of time diving into. And so many of like my favorite stories run through this time period. It's like 2004 to 2006 is like very important to me. You see, it's very deliberate. I'm sure there's someone I'm forgetting, but like they find like spots, moments for like basically like the entire roster. Like they fit, you know, the old guys in there. I can't remember if Russia Kimura retired at this point or not, or why he wasn't there. I don't remember. I hope it's not because he passed away. Um, but like that, he like Egan Momota, like they get their spots. They they it's a family. Like they they enter. They had the whole roster. It is a family, which is they like highlighted continued... them effectively. Ogawa was yeah. you know a huge match. It's continued um, from the same like feeling that I think you got from like a lot of all Japan, like this, like the very family vibe of things. Um, and also like, we've talked a lot about like where Noah made mistakes with people. Um, but at the same time, like there are, there are so many great stories from this era. You also see like the start of Kenta. Like you see the start of Marafuji. You see like, like where Sugira like begins his rise. Like there's so many Yes. Kotoro Suzuki, you also like get into like stuff with like uh, Atsushi Aoki and people like moving on from here, even like you start to see the rise of so many people who like made um, Noah, like even moving on from here, right? Like, and then you see like where Diamond Ring comes in and that shit's fucking awesome. So like, there's so much to love about this, like these earlier years of Noah. And like, if you even just start with Destiny, you're going to be able to find so much because there's so many storylines that connect to Destiny. And then you're going to, you're going to go out from there and find even more Noah to watch every yeah this stuff pays off everyone goes somewhere yeah it's it's amazing and by the way sorry R- russia camaro was retired he retired uh, a couple years before this so that's why he wasn't on this card um good to know thank you <laughs> sorry I, it was in my head so i had to tell everybody on this podcast um but yeah it that's the like they had a hot like like hot show one of the best shows ever by like just committing to like <laughs> being you know loyal and you know putting people in the right spots and yeah epic show it's like new japan tries (laughs) to fill it but like epic match after epic match like incredible would you say that there's another event that could compare to this one i struggled with this question (laughs) because i I don't think so that's my initial just because of all the stuff that like i don't know if there's another event with as many layers uh some of the things i'll say i'll I can say some of the things that like have come to my mind, but I don't, I don't necessarily agree with them. Like, you know, even Noah had a do- their first Tokyo Dome show before this, like that was kind of a big, you know, jump. It's a good card. Really good card. Uh, right. Card. It is. Yes. Um, so like that there's, they're very good at doing wrestling shows. Um, <laughs> but uh, like, 
I mean, all Japan's first dome show wasn't great. Maybe quality wise, some like of the Russell kingdoms, like maybe, I don't know, five, 10 years ago when they were kind of just filling them up with like good matches, but like not really. Um, I, I regret that this did pop in my head, but like, all in i i don't know (laughs) like wembley all like just as a as a like statement but also the business went down after that but like as a statement hey look we can do this this is who we are this is this is what this is but um yeah at least that's not look in your face i lou gave me the same reaction so it's okay (laughs) the truth is i don't know i don't think they're not with this much going on but tell me if you guys disagree because like i'm so I don't disagree. I think that it's hard because, like, I kept thinking about it in terms of, like, well, what compares in terms of sheer match quality, names on the card, and then also, like, the storylines coming into it, but also leaving it. Like, what had the most, like, yeah. impact in the way Destiny had such impact? But then what I ended up, like, doing constantly was being like, well, there's, like, 87 other Noah cards that I also just love. But, like, that's also because Noah was good at booking Noah. So it's not necessarily fair. So where I ended up kind of taking my train of thought, because we're talking about it in terms of now, like it, I, I, at least I kept thinking about it as being like, what is another card that ends an era? And my thought came to Final Burning, which is Kobashi's retirement card. And that happened in 2013. That card isn't as strong from top to bottom, right? But I think that that card does end an era it ends an era of kobashi and kobashi is the industry right so there's that piece of it for me also the main event of final burning is like one of the finest matches fucking ever i will die on that hill i can watch that match like i will watch that match like with the intention of sitting down and watching it once and then because i love it so much i will wind up like sitting and watching it again like immediately again because it's so so good and I think that that match is effectively like the end of an era and that like we lose Kobashi through it, but also like in maybe a year from a year or, more, or like, you know, more or less from that point, um, Kenta leaves for mm-hmm. WWE. Knew that was coming. And then <laughs> you also have like the weirdness of that match is that Akiyama, Shiozaki and Kanemaru had to come and also uh, Kotaro, but he's on a different, he's in a different match. Those guys had to come back from all Japan to do that match because they already had their exodus out of um noah defending um <laughs> defending kobashi's honor and then had left for all japan so they're coming back like after that exodus where things are fucking tense that must have been a wild backstage that's crazy to me right so like you have that end of an era in that like so much change had happened for noah and like they left a fucking hole when they left like akiyama and those guys right so like that's the only thing that I can really think of, but it's like obviously a lot like sadder, but it's some curtain call final burning, well, right? Get, like what popped my head again, don't, don't judge her for this, but like it, it's not that, but the term sad keeps coming up, but like it's not like, like sad, sad, like, uh, know, like good, good sad, you know, like, 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 it, and I'm like, the, the, it's not like this is the last nitro or something where, you know, you throw rick flair and sting on there to end the show and it's like oh we're gonna wrestle for five minutes and then goodbye the business is over it's complete like this there are so many easter eggs on the undercard that like are running the business today so like it's not you know it's it's there's a sadness in it for you know what it represents and like that it's not that you know 
packaged well, but like anymore, but like it's not, it, it's yeah, they're, they're, it's also right. It, it's an end of an era, but also, yeah, the, there's the, the takeoff for the future, except that they were kind of confused for a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, the, the, the road after the dome is <laughs> a little like curvy, but like, Hey, that's, yeah, that's fine. But we still have destiny. So. I had thought actually, Alicia, that you were going to say final burning when I wrote this question. That's because I wanted to talk about final burning. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and I know you, um, no. <laughs> but, but it be also because um, me thinking about you talking about final burning made me think about curtain call uh, matches of certain eras as well. And, and it brought to mind Muto's retirement show and, and very much um, about past, present, future as well and putting an end to an era with Muto sort of walking off into the sunset um, with uh, Chono and Hashimoto on his back so um, there was sort of that that moment of like sweet sadness as well um, watching that and in that way they got to have the moment that like was denied was denied rather Misawa and um, Kawada right like that's like the beauty of that is the beauty of Keiji Muto and uh, and Chono is that like they got to have a moment that has been denied so many people in pro wrestling, but we got to watch it there, and that's that is a beautiful thing. One of the, if not the most bittersweet shows uh, of all time, uh, a representation of a wonderful era of wrestling. All the boys are there, are <laughs> <laughs> all hanging out, all on the arc. <laughs> And to that end, we couldn't enjoy that if wrestling fans didn't, in some ways, all live in the past. So there is that. Thank you. Thank you. There is very much that. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Jason, can you plug yourself? Yes, I am Jason. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, you can find me um, at some point. I should be making my return to happywrestlingland.com uh, or um, I am on X at, <laughs> at 1053 Ridge. <laughs> so uh that's that's where you can find me i post things sometimes but yeah you can find a lot of a ton of reviews and a lot of uh yeah talking about stuff like this at happywrestlingland.com thank Thank you you. for having me of course thank you so much for for staying on with us for as long as you have we will get mr captain lou back on soon as well um it's horrifying to hear you say that you're on x but that's, I guess, what it I is. I know, I know. I, I was trying to think of a funny way to say it, but I just, you know what? I'm just going to go by the books, all right? Just going <laughs> to go with it. Going to gonna go with what Elon has told us to do. Well, I'm on Twitter slash X as well. Um, I'm also Alicia. And you can find me at Sharnui yeah. Kai with two eyes there. Um, you can also find me and Rachel at Kickout299 um, on t- Twitter slash X. And if you right. wouldn't mind, <laughs> Jason has ruined us all. I'm just sorry. This is the end of these shows. <laughs> if you would not mind leaving us a five-star rating on your uh, preferred podcast platform, um, we would really appreciate that. It helps us fight the algorithm. More people can find us. And we would just really appreciate your support in that way. And thank you guys so much for hanging in there with us and listening to our episodes. And I'll let Rachel take it away. All right. Well, you can find me on the artist formerly known as Twitter at Milky Star. That's M-I-I-K-Y Star. Alicia's giving me a look. <laughs> and you can find us kick out at kickout299. Once again, thank you all so much. And we'll talk to you soon.